What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, episode 89. I'm here on a Thursday, as always, with my resident homies, Casey and Joel. We'll see Joseph within the hour or so. He's He'll be on. Um, tonight is a probably the most special night of the show for me so far. Me 89 ep- episodes into this thing. Um, oh, we are joined by the great Paul Masvidal. How are you, Paul? I'm doing well. It's an honor to be here with you guys. It's an honor and a pleasure, like I said, pre-pod, to have you, meet you, and and be able to uh, sit and chat with you tonight, dude. This is a dream come true for me, no doubt. I, I mentioned that Cynic has been my favorite band for 20 years now, and uh, everything that you've put out has has had a deep connection with me and my life. It's gotten me through the lights, got me through the dark. And uh, yes, thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, real quick, we're going to do some plugs. Uh, let's do a battleforgecoffee.com plug for our homies and deeds of flesh. Go get your, uh, caffeine fix over there, get some swag, support the underground, uh, Podcast.bigcartel.com. We only have four shirts left guys. We have one small, a couple of XLs and a double XL. Uh, one of you guys wants to buy one during the show maybe joseph will do a live bagging for you later on <laughs> and uh plug uh let's plug the uh that tour did we did we get the flyer ready for that tour boom there it is shedding the fr- virus 2022 we're sponsoring this tour joseph's uh drumming with ominous ruin our friends in ominous ruin seven g's alex basie all those guys we love them we just did a, a show with them on tuesday to pump it up for them a little bit but yeah if you're in one of these areas, please uh, go support again, support the underground. And um, Paul, do you have any places that you want to plug online where people can buy merch or get information about what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like indie merch, you know, is our main jam for for U.S. primarily, but they ship worldwide and they got a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then Traveling Merchant, which is a Europe-based shop. But um, if you just put in travelingmerchant.com and search Cynic or, you know, my Instagram has all the links and stuff too there in the bio. So killer. Right on. For sure. So again, thank you so much, Paul. I know you're over in Miami right now. We'll be getting into uh, why you're over there. I'm sure most people already know. Um, but how we usually do it on the show is then this is a very exciting conversation to ask this man. Um, or uh, did I say conversation question? Sorry. Um, we like you to take us back in time. We like you to take us to the point in childhood, the earliest memory that you can remember where music clicked with you. It wasn't just background music. Something caught your attention and made you want to pay attention to what you were listening to and then it's off the races from there Mm. yeah i mean what immediately comes to mind um before i even played an instrument was being in in my mother's house and my mother's car and hearing music come on and she had super eclectic taste. She was kind of into everything from folk to Cuban music to like Neil Diamond and like all the Sinatra stuff. There's like kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. 
But I'll never forget, and this must have been in the early mid seventies, um, hearing a song. Uh, I, I want to say it was like fucking what song was it, man? I don't even know. My Make It With You or some shit. It was, a, it's David Gates. The band was called Bread. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, actually they're, I think they were a California band. And um, they, I just remember hearing this song. I mean, I do have a distinct memory of it and thinking, wow, I want to be able to do that. Like the, the magic of song, you know, fucking hit me. I made an impression at a very young age. And how, what was that age? Probably like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, there may have been earlier memories, but I'll just have that distinct memory of at that point, feeling like it was like a real magical power, like to hear somebody so honestly sing and make me feel something so deeply it felt like a like the superpower. I was like, "Wow, just yeah. dude, it just feels so magical." Especially right. being so young, I was just so raw and open, and and I thought, "Fuck, I want to be able to do that." <laughs> it was yeah. one of those moments where it was just, and I think that was probably the beginning of the seed planting. You know, where it was like, you know, within a few years, I got a guitar. You know, ten, right. I was playing. Right. And uh, so it's definitely was the beginning. Tell and, us the story about getting that guitar. Well, I actually got a bass first. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I'm remembering now my my parents were divorced at a young age. So I, I'd gone, I think, to my dad who had maybe a little more bread at the moment. And I was like, hey, I want to play, play an instrument, you know? And I think he just didn't listen too clearly and just brought a, a bass or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, wait, no, not, not one of these, you know? And it's yeah. swapped it pretty quickly. And um, I think the first guitar was like a West Tone or something, like a cheap Strat or something, you know? Right. I don't even know if that's the brand name anymore. But, but it was, you know, it was one of those things where I... It took a little while. I don't think I remember about it wasn't until I was about 13, 14 that I was like, OK, I, I fucking can do this, you know, and like I actually started to practice seriously. And I think it was I was at summer camp and I brought my guitar and I remember having that moment where I suddenly could like my right hand got its shit together and I could pick fast and like play passages and shit. And I was like okay, I can fucking, I can do this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Suddenly you get some facility on the instrument and it gives, gives you confidence. And I had those moments of like where I felt at a young age, I had a little bit of, I had a natural inclination to the instrument. It just felt like the right thing to be doing. And mm -hmm. like, it just went very natural for me. And, and then I, you know, I don't know that either of my folks really thought much of it. They just realized that I was one of those kids that rather than doing a lot of socializing in those years, especially by my teens, I was just totally interested in practicing. You know, I just wanted to get better and play. So I was just woodshedding and just jamming, you know, and 
and then I got introduced to Sean, you know, in elementary school around that same period. Oh, wow. Elementary school, huh? Jeez. Yeah. Uh, I think we were 13. Wow. Yeah. So right around when I started to get good, you know, or at least kind of feel like I had, I could play riffs and like a solo and like I figured out solos of my brother was into classic rock. I grew up hearing like Zeppelin and Floyd and, so I was like picking out that shit and like learning stuff. And what was actually to take it back just a little bit? What was the first song that you can like you played from front to back where you're like, I fin I, I learned it and I finished it. Like it might have been an Aussie song. Nice. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah. Like what year was Over the Mountain? I can't even remember. Like eighty two. Uh, was a that was off Diary of a Madman. Diary of a Madman. Was that eighty yeah. two? So, probably like the mountain because I remember I was obsessed yeah. with Randy Rhodes and yeah. and that guitar yeah. solo was just like fucking a I want to play like that you know yeah, and yeah. I like could play it I was like fuck yeah you know Let's and then you. you know you know and I got into like heavier and heavier shit because I was just pushing the envelope I had to get heavier than my brother you know right but I mean. By 14, 15, you know, we're getting Metallica demos and shit. You know what I mean? It's Slayer. And I was calling fucking Tom Araya. His phone number I got on the underground was like, hey, dude, I can play your songs. And he was like, something. And I put his the phone up to my PV amp and fucking played him cryonics and shit. He was like, wow. that's cool, dude. Yeah, yeah, I remember. He was actually cool. Kerry King was really a dick. He was so <laughs> And I mean, yeah. I'm going to diss him now, but he was just not nice to a little fanboy, you know? Yeah. And um, I never talked to Jeff, and Dave was just kind of like dry, but Lombardo, who I spoke to for a minute, but Tom was like your dad. He was just so chill and so sweet, you know? And I think about, because I called him probably a couple times, but he ended up, he was just so warm and, and like open and receptive to me being this young guitar player who was just a fan who wanted to share what I learned. Mm -hmm. um, but I had the real benefit, man, which I think is different from a lot of people that have grown up maybe in the past 10, 20 years playing guitars that my world was not in front of a computer. It was how I learned really was getting in front of other musicians. So here I'm meeting Sean, 12, 13, the day we met, I went to his house and we jammed in his bedroom, you know? So we immediately like, bam, I was like, okay, we're doing this, you know, we, and mm -hmm. we were writing songs. And so we forged an alliance at a very young age at, and had immediate interaction with a fellow musician, you know, and Sean was right. a, a beast of a fucking drummer. Yeah. I mean, you think about other people who, who, have gone through the you know the trials and tribulations of finding a musician a drummer as a guitar player vice versa and and how many times they miss before they finally hit and and here you are the first guy you go to jam with is fucking sean reiner i mean and he was like stupid then do you know i don't I read, remember yeah. sean ever sucking you know what i mean yeah, it's, it's cool. a natural it's like was I mean, I've told the story before, but he was the kid that went to his first drum lesson. He had played piano before. His mom, you know, he was like, I want to play drums. I want to play drums. His mom takes him. Okay, well, you have to take lessons. You have to be good if you're going to do this. And he apparently the first lesson, man, he's the teacher plays him like a police song because, you know, Stuart Copeland was like kind of advanced for pop stuff. And, and Sean said to him, 
I know what he's doing. I understand what he's doing. This is before he ever sat behind a drum set. And he literally sat behind the kid and started to play the groove. And the teacher was like, I don't know if I can teach you. (laughs) And the teacher was like, maybe I can show you technique and stuff. So he started to teach him technique stuff. But he was that. Sean had it in his karma. He came in fully programmed with stick talent that, like, he didn't even – he did work hard to become the drummer he became, but he came out of the bat fucking already solid. You know what I mean? And yeah. You know, background helped. Um, I mean, it's not surprising that that man is just oh, was always a monster. Yeah. And it was a dream for me. I was so spoiled because first off, I was lucky enough that he was my first musician friend. Right. So, wow, that's the first dude I get to jam with is Sean Reiner, you know, yeah, yeah. and then that, any idea I ever had, any drum thing, anything, he could do it. Like there was nothing beyond his scope. So I could just hum weird riffs or parts or be like, do this thing or do doubles there and fucking switch into this and fucking, and he just like busted out. Like it was fun for him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. so musically proficient that playing was just a joy. It was just all a, a dance of expression. Sean was just a master. You know? So how long, um, w- w- you probably started out with covers, obviously. How long into uh, playing with him did you guys start playing with writing originals? Pretty soon, man. Like we were doing, I just saw a buddy actually, was it last night? I think it was last night, yeah. Um, a buddy of mine, another childhood friend, his name was Russell Mofsky, who was a, another guitar player. He was part of that, like, he came in the room with Sean and me early on. He went to a different school, but he kind of just like, we knew him through Sean's sister. And I remember us playing like Dio, Rainbow in the Dark, and like <laughs> all these like, you know, bits and pieces of covers of, of these bands, Metallica, early Metallica stuff. Um, but we, um, Slayer, of course. And then um, I think probably like kind of the, the the writing original music went hand in hand. Our first band was called Kobold, mm. and, which is like a German goblin or something. You know, it's a word for I, like I used to pick names out because my mom had a big ass Webster's Dictionary, this, that in the living room. <laughs> yep. And I would just flip through it just looking for weird words and shit. And it was like Kobold. And it was it's, a, it's like I think they're represented as the goblins on like you know, churches and shit, right? Those, uh, those are oh, yeah, yeah. Like, almost like gargoyles or yeah, gargoyles type things. Nice. Okay. We were like, that's a cool name. <laughs> you know? right. And, uh, and then what other did we have? Oh yeah. And then we had Krypha. Maybe Krypha was first and then Kobold. Actually it's funny. Now I'm going even further back. This is, tr- this is trippy, dude. You're bringing me way back. <laughs> we had a band called Seaweed. Oh, and what we were just talking about pre-pod, dude. Oh, that's right. Where you just swimming. Oh, You're just swimming in the oh, seaweed or trying to avoid oh. the seaweed. <laughs> it was seaweed was the first band. Trip. I actually like that one out of all of them. I know. <laughs> I know, I too. I'm a, beach, I'm a beach town kid, too. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. No, it was with our friend. Uh, we had another homie, this guy, Reed. And we had songs like called, you know, Abyssal Plains, like the deep, deepest part of the ocean. Like we had themes around like the ocean and seaweed. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I think that our one song, which might even be on fucking YouTube, God forbid, it's really? called Seaweed Creature. 
And um, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to find it somewhere, man. It's, so there's some basement tapes of these uh, early projects. Then oh, too. yeah. I mean, I was just oh, I was with my friend Gus, who's another childhood friend tonight. And he, he was asking me, we were talking about childhood memories because he knew Sean as well. And he's like, do you, what do you like? What are your, one of your fond memories? He just asked me that when we were walking back and like from the beach to this restaurant. And then we got, you know, the, the Uber to get here, which was the whole delay. But anyway, so he, um, I remembered Sean and I with cassette, with boom boxes, making tapes of like like what would be the equivalent of a podcast today we we did our own like radio shows okay cool yeah and we'd act like a dj we'd be like so what kind of music are you you know what i mean we're talking yeah jesus you're ahead of the time on that too man i know man it's no it's crazy to think about that saying when you get home when you get back to Callie, you got to fucking digitize that shit. I wonder if they'll even play, but I got all those tapes, you know? That's and awesome. This is like pre-pubescent. I mean, our voices are super high. We're fucking like giggling and shit. Oh, I'd love to hear that, dude. <laughs> oh, oh dude, no, there was a tape we made a couple where we went and got Mexican food and fucking farted all night. It was like a fart tape. <laughs> dude, I had a fart tape too. <laughs> I had a fart ringtone of my own farts too for a while. <laughs> That's amazing. How long? Yeah, technology, man. Yeah, dude. I know. I got it. I got it. But, dude. So, yeah. You know what I mean? So many early childhood memories like that. Just, but we were writing songs early on, and just, yeah. I think it went hand in hand because we were really like artist musicians. We had the interest in being better and really being skilled, but we also wanted to come up with new ideas and make our own music. You know, it was like part of the joy was to create something. And exactly. You know what I mean? It's like creating with some, with other people too. That's, that's like so motivating one sculpture that everybody sculpts in, you know, like they, and then it becomes this whole thing that is the collective effort. And yeah, Yeah, it's like exactly hundred percent that it's like, it's just, you 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 more you kind of morph into one thing, and that's I'm so many years of my life with Sean. We were just one thing that was just amorphous and kind of coming in and out of each other's consciousness. Like this is you know one of those things where I feel like we didn't really get to know each other as people as much as we did just as these weird creative kids that just made art the day we met. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even about like, oh, we got stuff in common. The only thing, the only thing we had in common, I mean, we ended up having a lot in common, but it was really like this one kid in school, Ron Rivchin, you know, who my, my friend Gus knew, was one of his old best friends in the cafeteria said, Paul's the only drummer and Sean, I mean, Paul's the only guitar player and Sean, you're the only drummer you guys need to meet. And, yeah. you know, Sean got the pepper shaker in the cafeteria and went, Nice to meet you. <laughs> and, um, I, the, the joke with Sean was that he was blowing pepper in my face our entire life. You know, like yeah, it was our dynamic. He was like the little brother who was just fucking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But that tension makes great music, man. Like totally, that was mm-hmm. the fucking thing that just we were scrubbing against. You know, right? And That's your conversations cool. with each other were through the music as well too like it's the it's a language that so you say like 
you you didn't really get to know each other as people, but actually you were showing each other who you it's were. Deeper. It's deeper than the personality, man. Mm-hmm. I always feel like if someone understands my music, like you know me better than anybody because that's as real and transparent and deep as it gets in terms of a, 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 a you know a place of expression like this is all just like who is this i don't know who the fuck is talking you know what i mean kind of thing it's like yeah so it's um it's the music feels so pure and that's so it's yeah so i'm it's grateful to be chatting with you guys because it's like oh yeah you know, you still see. Yeah, dude, definitely. I mean, these are the these are the types of things that we love to dig into on the show. So I want you to keep going, though. So, like, you had the the first couple of projects, the basement tapes. What age did you guys really, really start getting serious with it? Because I'm sure you were guys were part of the tape trading situation oh, yeah. back then, and you're you're coming across all the underground stuff. Like, actually, two side note: what was the first tape in the tape trading shit where it just blew your mind? I mean, there were so many cool fucking extreme bands, man. It was, the scene was so electric and experimental then, as it is now. But it was just <laughs> definitely there was shit that was so fucking. Oh, Gus, hold on, Gus. No, 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 no. Oh shit! Hold on. That's <laughs> yeah, all good. It's all good. I think the the dog got let out. I think. Oops. Oh, I saw a tail there earlier. Yeah, <laughs> I was like gonna ask him, is that a pet or? It was but like perfect timing with the dog and the. They were like he was like ducking behind with like the tail behind. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> dude, this is so sick, guys. I know. Already. Okay. Sorry yeah. about that. Oh, you're all good. Uh, um, yeah, there was, I'm, you know, so I'm thinking there were so many bands, um, like a band that comes to mind that was really kind of fun <laughs> and experimental. That's my, my, my buddy. What up, Gus? Yeah. <laughs> what up, Gus? Um, was, um, there was a band, um, called Wehrmacht, you know, mm. like, um, like, remember Slayer had that shirt, Slaytanic Wehrmacht? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like the Germans. The, yeah, yeah. Some kind of, it's actually like a, a probably a Nazi reference, which isn't very cool. But the but the band was this weird kind of Zappa grindcore. Whoa. Like funny, but like sick musicians and really smart lyrics. And like just really clever, weird outsider kind of punk Zappa fucking grindcore. Like I, that's the best way to explain that it. Sounds like I really want to listen to that band. I hope they're not Nazis. I don't think they were Nazis. They were more just like weird and had like, it was just a weird word that they used or something like, I don't right. remember a Nazi thing. And yeah. I always hope like with the Slayer thing, I always hope that it was kind of like a shock. Like, thing. You're, you're, you're referencing like dark times and it's scary. It's kind of like a horror film with a lot of like death metal bands, but they yeah. decided to use that imagery because you just see like the gnarly, like the helmet, like skeleton. They're way into that shit. Right? I know. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Hanneman supposedly like had like a huge collection of like the World War yeah. II. Like, but it's like that's, that's weird, dude. Yeah, I mean, sort yeah. of. Le- Lemmy did too. Cool. Lemmy, you know, but much people cool. like you know, yeah. It's like they were yeah. like collecting it as like a weird, like it's like a a horror thing. I I'm hoping it's a horror thing, like a yeah. like a really like scary part of humanity to collect but to have it in your house is kind of like it's bad it's just bad feng shui (laughs) (laughs) shui. there was this you know there was always in the way that there was acceptable homophobia in the metal scene 
there was acceptable like forms of racism too mm-hmm. and and there was a lot of Nazi bullshit yeah. going on in totally. the punk scene too, man. The punk was even worse, right? Worse. Right. So it's just, and it was all yeah. about people trying to be edgy and fucking rebellious. And, but it's like, to me, that's like the lowest vibrational form of stupidest shit you could possibly. It's like, oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's right there with like torturing animals or something. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's, if you've taken enough psychedelics, like seeing something like that sounds like a, a really dissonant chord like like it really has like a really weird bat like you said vibrational so it just has like a like you lose on on a like a, what's that family feud it's like like it's yeah. like that's like you hear that almost like when you see like that kind of negative stuff like yeah. on psychedelics yeah yeah. yeah 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 but i don't remember their lyrics being anything like that i just remember their music being extremely crazy and i mean there were so many it's like now i'm like thinking because there were so many bands that were just one-offs that just made one demo or a couple demos and just were gone. And I always think about like, what happened to that band or what, cause you and I mean, it's like, there was such a, an abundant scene. And then weirdly there's bands that like appeared back then, like Mantis that became death, mm-hmm. you know, it was tape trading. That's how I met Chuck. You know, it was literally just like tape trading scene. We swapped some shit. I got, you know, Infernal Death demo at some point after hearing the Mantis stuff and he started to do death. And I was like, this is so sick. I need to know who this is. And some friend of mine was like, oh, you should, you know, here's his phone number. He's up in Orlando, which is like four hours north of Miami where we were living. And I was like, I got his phone number. I started to call him and became his friend, you know. Dude, that this that just shows like you know the difference of today versus then because you've already mentioned twice like how you got a hold of people was on the phone, yeah, and it was it was a phone connected to the wall that you had the cord, and you were just tethered to it. Yeah, it's not a it's not a DM and it's not an email. Mm -mm. It's a phone call, and you hear a living, breathing person. Because if it wasn't a phone call, it was snail mail. And snail mail was amazing. And we all got to know each other in incredible ways because you write these long letters to people sometimes just right. and we'd send our lists of our, of our demo compilations and breakdowns. I mean, it would just be a little bit of everything, man. And um, so it was really kind of like, and you can get to know people. Like I remember really, you know, you felt like you got to know people just by their handwriting. It was weird because you yeah. didn't speak. But once you got a hold of people on the phone, like Chuck immediately, it was like there was a friendship forged because now you're in that delicate space of speech and it's yeah. mm-hmm. more intimate. Um, totally. Yeah. So to take it back to uh, uh, Sean and you. So you guys, are, what you, what age? I forget when you guys started really writing the serious stuff. So and- quite like, yeah, I mean, we were playing, you know, we played people's backyard parties at like 14 already. By, by 14, 15, we were playing parties and, and clubs. And, and what kind of, what would be the, like, describe the style you guys were playing at that time? It was like... Kind of like, I guess, just like rock, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like we weren't, we were like interested in, I mean, we were, we weren't probably good enough to play the extreme stuff. If we did, it was in a more punk way. Mm-hmm. Um, like we could do it, but I think we were just doing more like rock inspired songs. Just like, I'm trying to think, but like just more straight ahead, like kind of just like, what are those bands? Like almost like 
you know, even early eighties kind of sounding stuff, you know, like, um, I mean, like jam rock type. No, not jam rock. Not like, jam, more just like, you know, it's like thinking of like bands. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, there was even a, a dare I say this, there was like a, you know, maybe the first Motley Crue record. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Oh yeah. Like that was like a thing, you know? Oh, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, yeah. And then like, Amazon, right? yeah, what else was there? Um, I mean, obviously a lot of the classic rock stuff and, but I just, a lot of the eighties kind of, so we were just writing these really straight, straight ahead tunes. And then we had the seaweed thing also. So I'm thinking like seaweed was almost more of this like branch that was more of like the Voivod side of ourselves, which was like this being weird and original and not playing by the rules. So I think actually what's interesting now is I'm realizing Krypha, which came from, uh, you're taking Apocrypha and just take, you know, the end of that word apocryphal or whatever, and pulling out that word out of it. And I think that that, that was the first band really Kobold, Krypha, and then seaweed happened and seaweed was like, Voivod and fucking being weird and edgy and trying to kind of develop a sound that was unique and didn't sound like anybody else. And was it instrumental or were you doing vocals at the time? He did vocals, my friend Reed. Um, and he just did this kind of low, kind of semi, semi growl, but not really. It was almost more spoken, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, really just nerdy about the lyrics and stuff. And and then I think really it was post seaweed that was the birth of Cynic, you know, Cynic right. was probably because that was already now we're talking mid 80s and Cynic's first demo was 87. Mm-hmm. So 87 or 88. I can't remember now. So you said nerdy about the lyrics. What, what was uh, what were you some things you were writing about at the time as a young I mean, like. But be post seaweed, early cynic, really, I was very political, you know, it was just very reactive kind of lyrics where I was very much at war with society and the ways of the world. Kind of and taking a punk. Yeah, very aesthetic. punk. Yeah. And we were into punk. I mean, we we're actually, that's another thing I should mention. Like at the time there was like, you know, the punk scene was merging with the metal scene too. And there was a lot of weird bills that happened. Like I remember as a kid going to see destruction in Chromax, you know, oh, wow. and like there was tours like that. And th- those weren't cool vibes because the skinheads didn't like the metal heads. You know what I mean? Mm. So a lot of tension at the concerts and stuff, but, um, I wonder what that, if, if promoters knew that, I wonder what they were trying to do with that. Were they trying to bring people together or are they trying to cause a little hostility? I think they didn't even know, man. It was just yeah, yeah. in the same way that we, our cynics first real tour was opening for cannibal corpse, you know? Yeah. I was like, going to ask about that. Yeah. Like that was obviously not the right bill. We love those guys and fucking, but man, sonically and vibe, it was just like totally different sounds you know mm-hmm. um, going off on that real quick i mean that was one of the questions i like had locked and loaded my brother was at the um the berkeley square show the one that's like it's all you know dude, there's a couple shows that was one of the best shows of the tour man totally yeah it was, it was like a couple you guys played a couple nights or something there is that correct or that's what he or said 
did we play two nights there or maybe another spot like maybe another spot he was saying that like he was on acid watching you guys (laughs) but he like loved you guys he was like all about like you and sean and followed you guys from you know death and stuff like that but said that uh right after pretty much right after there was an earthquake right after the uh yeah like yeah that because i remember it's funny now i'm remembering and i can't remember if it was that tour when I was in a hotel room in San Francisco and fucking the, an earthquake happened and I had, yep. I ran out with my towel. We were, cause it was a good one, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what you like freaked out. Then, man. <laughs> we're right yeah. by that, that one fault line. What is it called? Oh, the Sierra San, San Andreas. San Andreas. San Andreas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That show, I'll tell you, man, I was so psyched. I don't know. I have to get a hold of the guy who shot it because he had three cameras Mm-hmm. And he fucking recently like edited it properly, and like mm. like the best moment of that tour ever, where I'm just like, wow, like the highlight of that tour, which didn't have many. Most of the shows were pretty rough for us. Is fucking well documented with a killer three camera shoot, and like it sounds decent. It actually yeah. like it's for considering it's all like whatever high camera or something. It's like the quality, it's balanced, you know. So totally. I'm so psyched about that. I was like, we got to do something with that and get it out in a proper way. Or I don't totally. know. It's a legendary show for all the older generation of the Bay. You know, yeah. I grew up in the Bay. You'd heard of right outside of San Francisco and all the older dudes that when I was a young kid, they're like, oh, you like Cynic, dude? You didn't see him back at the wow. Square, dude. You know? Cool. Yep. It was no, a legendary I mean, show. I actually watched the whole thing from beginning to end, like in the past couple months. Cause someone was like, you got to see this three camera thing, man. And I was like, I literally did not like have a moment where I was like, Oh fuck, we fucked up. Or it was like a pretty much like solid performance from beginning to end where we fucking nailed it. And we yeah. walk, walked off that stage that night going, that was a fucking killer show. Yeah. Nice, it's so dude. rare that that happens, you know, where you just, yeah. like you just did it, did, did it right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure, the sound so was talking, good. Everything, yeah. yeah like, there's always that audience was yeah. awesome, and that's really most of it because it's live is reciprocal, man. And if the if the if the audience is bouncing back, isn't giving you love back, you'll not you won't not yeah. catch that energy. Yeah, yeah, you'll literally You're catching a different one. Mistakes and fucked up because the vibe. Was yeah, awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about like tour the touring with Cannibal Hut was rough. So what, like, were you talking about the did? First of all, did Alex Webster bring you guys? I, f- I feel like a story that Alex Webster loved you guys and then brought yeah. you guys on. Well, so we had toured. We had done a lot of van tours before that tour, just like demo days. And we one tour, we got in my van and we drove all the way from Miami to Buffalo, New York. And this was before Cannibal had a record deal. Mm. And, um, and we played a gig with Cannibal and Malevolent Creation. Malevolent Creation were also in the in my van because they had just moved to Florida. And yeah. so we, um, we, and they're like, yeah, we got these bros up in Buffalo. We should go play a gig with them. So we drove all the way. And I remember when we got there, my transmission went out. Fuck. The car was just like wrecked. <laughs> and, uh, but we played some gigs with cannibal and Buffalo that were pretty awesome. And, um, obviously like the scene was so small then, man, that like, the only other band that we really felt like a real kinship to in terms of sound was Atheist. I knew you were mm-hmm. going to say that, dude. Yep, me yeah. too. I mean, they were just like 
as weird, if not weirder than us. And, and I was so like moved by like a band that was really doing its own thing. And Kelly took us under his wing and, and brought us into the world. I mean, he championed cynic and sang our praises to everybody and called all the people in the business that he knew and said, I've got this fucking band called cynic. These kids are fucking sick and, and you need to hear them. And he was a, he was like our manager back then. Like, um, really believed in us and really helped us, which by the way, at one point, I don't know if you know this, but Debbie Abono was Cynic's manager for, mm. for a minute. She was possessed manager. Okay. Um, old Bay area kind of mom lady, yeah. like grandma basically, who was like a legend in the Bay area. And um, like Metallica was tight with her. She was just like the mom of the Bay area thrash scene back in the day. And I was a huge fan of all that music. And I remember meeting her because she toured with, I think, a bunch of her bands, but it may have been like Violence or Forbidden or something. Mm -hmm. And I like gave her a demo and was like, you know, you got to hear my band. And she, we stayed in touch and she ended up like managing us for a minute, which was really cool because I loved her. Totally. But yeah, so we just, we went up there and I, so I think it was Malevolent that was friends with Alex and then Alex kind of, got to know us because we Alex knew us before even Malone was in the band. And then it wasn't until we actually like toured for, you know, once focus came out and they had an album or two out um, that we really got to know each other and really grew to like each other, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think Alex took bass lessons from Malone on that tour, you know? So we like those guys became our brothers and Rob Barrett, who, who wasn't even in cannibal at the time, was in another band. He had his own group called Solstice, but he was another Buffalo guy. He lived in Cynic's warehouse. So he was like, we were all like intertwined with these like guys from the Northeast. That mm-hmm. early. Yeah. Solstice yeah. kicks ass, dude. Solstice right. definitely kicks ass. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to rewind a little bit because we jumped over a bunch of stuff. Uh, I want to know about like when you decided to start this new project, Cynic, you know, like, what, yeah. what 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 influenced you to go in that direction um get more extreme more technical compared to the things that you've been mentioning in your timeline so far like yeah. what what clicked with that where, where did you guys decide to take that we're gonna get off on this exit and and see how right. far it takes us well like you know there's i'm our demos are almost like you know i i i really never wanted those demos out in the world. I mean, I literally, really? I felt like focus was really the beginning of a realized mm-hmm. vision. Uh-huh. Like I was like, this is the band now. Like now we know who we are and what we sound like. Like those early demos, they're like sketches, you know? Right. You, you, I felt like there was too soon to share. Like, but you know, of course now you can't, it's like it's all out there and we ended up putting it out through century media years ago you also got to think of it though like about guys like me because i focus was my first uh introduction to the band and it it changed me at that point but i'm also like i'm a collector and i'm and once i whether it's be movies books you know, I follow directors and, and once I fall in love with a director, I have to see everything they've done, even, you know, back to yeah. sometimes being exposed to like early David Lynch stuff where he was doing stuff and like yeah. student 
films and stuff like that. So, but I like to, I like to see the whole process. So I personally can really appreciate those demos because it does show me what it takes, what, what, what the process is to get to a, a, a focus, right. you know? Yeah. Well, so now, I know as, a, as an artist, though, of course, you have the it's a different perspective. And of yeah. course, yeah, I would probably actually I have demos that I don't ever want to get on right. either. Like so reverse it's like, engineering, you want to is, reverse engineer a little bit, like, yeah, see where, where yeah. the things can, like no, get into terrifying. the band first and reverse. Yeah, yeah, no, it feel it feels like, fuck, we sucked, you know, <laughs> but now you're reminding me, man. So I, you know, I got kicked out of junior high uh, in Miami for what? Well, you won't believe it. So I, you know, I was at a private school. This is where I met Sean called okay. Oliver Academy. And they fucking, I had like, you know, it was fucking with my hair, bleaching it. They were saying you couldn't grow your hair past your collar, like a, a pretty strict school. And I, I was always just like growing my, and I had long hair as a kid, but once I went to the school, I had to cut it. And my mom was always on my team, but she just like put me in the school. Cause it was like where kids, certain kids, parents wanted their kids going to this certain good school. And, but the principal, this lady named Miss Catullus was like a fucking wicked witch, man. She was just. Catullus. Like, it's almost Catullus. She was like a villain for character from a fucking comic book or something. Like really classic, archetypal, scary. Corella Deville. I mean, just like really, yeah. yeah, very dominant and very kind of in her power and controlling and just aggressive and mean and just no kindness in her heart. And fucking, I, I'll never forget her bringing me into her, and it wasn't a religious school. Um, at all it was actually primarily Jewish kids, and uh, and then a combination of like a little bit of everything. But I'd say a lot of a lot of Jewish kids. And we, I remember her pulling me into her her office, seeing me like outside one day, and saying, "Come to my office." And I went to her office, and she says, "Your hair is too long. You have to cut it again." It's I, I, and. And I remember her having a plaque of Jesus, like at 33 or something, that famous picture of him with the fucking like yep. heart and his hair down here. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and I said, if he was at your school, would you have him cut his hair? <laughs> and she literally was like, I'm calling your parents. You don't belong at this school. And that wow. like, like, I offended her. And it wasn't even a religious school, but I was like, I was such a smart ass. But I remember my mother came into the school and I remember her saying to her, do you ask them to cut their nails? Because he, his nails are, are, are long too. And so my mom defended me, you know? There you go. Yeah. But she says, I don't, you're not welcome at the school anymore. Jesus. And um, so I was, I had authority problems as a kid. I, I didn't like people telling me what to do, especially people who were abusive of their authority. I was right. fine if you were a respectful person, but if you were like somebody who's just talking down because you're young, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. and I'm not, you know, I was just a smart ass punk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't like the abuse of power, you know? Well, and, yeah, it's totally, and you're smart enough at that age to see that that's what's happening too. Yeah, it felt really uncool and fucking shitty. 
And so, but ended up, my parents were just like, okay, you can't go back to the school. So we're going to send you to a boarding school. And um, I went to school um, in upstate New York, a school called Darrow School. And it's, I don't know if it's still there. It was right on the border of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And it was kind of a school for like, Buck up kids. <laughs> like, well, real quick before you move forward. So Sean was still at that school and then you got kicked out of that school. Yeah. That okay. And then so Sean and I stayed like this while I went to boarding school writing letters. And this was the beginning of Cynic actually was kind of dreaming of this band that we were going to make when we could get together again. And while I was in boarding school, I met Mark Van Erp, who was our first bass player. Were you able to bring a guitar with you to boarding school? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I was playing, man. And and Sean um, and Mark was like another musician who I met in music class in school who was like busting out maiden and shit. And I hadn't seen bass players play like that. Sean and I had been through other bass players earlier that just, you know, the kind of guys who were like, Could you play your kick drum? I want to tune my bass. We're like, what are you like <laughs> we're so young, you know what I mean? And but like by the t- by Mark Van Erp was like he could play. This guy was like fucking playing Steve Harris shit, you know, and like yeah, and that was sick back then. I mean, really, it was like and just he could he really had fingers and facility. So Mark, I said I got a bass player, man, and I was telling Sean this, you know, writing him and eventually sometimes we talk on the phone, and so we were basically dreaming of this band and. Funny enough, man, I got kicked out of that boarding school. <laughs> oh, you know I'm going to ask you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I How? got kicked out because, I mean, this is the real story. All right, let's hear it. Uh, I was starting to realize that I was gay in those years. I actually remember the day, actually, this has nothing to do with being gay, but I'll never forget the day my homie told me Cliff Burton died. And I fucking was so sad. And you know what I mean? I was in school. I'll never forget that, man. And, but I also realized that I just didn't want to bang, bang gals and just Mm. not down with that, you know? And, and I was like, fuck, what does this mean? You know, and you're starting to kind of come. And I knew, you know, I knew probably much younger then, but to come out to yourself is the first step of this process to where you Uh actually accept that, this might be true that you're mm-hmm. fucking, that you're gay, you know? And I was like, Oh fuck. And basically, you know, I had girlfriends. I had, I, you know, I'm not a gold star gay. I've actually slept with women before. Um, I actually got a first girlfriend pregnant. She had an abortion. I'd have like a fucking 35 year old kid right now. If I an abortion. Um, <laughs> Yeah, my mom was like, you are not having this kid. I mean, my whole life would have been different, right? Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, so we, I, I was kind of coming to terms with that. And there was a girl at, at boarding school who basically wanted to hook up with me. And she was a real princess. She's used to getting what she wanted. Beautiful girl. I loved her to death. I did not want to bang her. And, um, and she got mad at me. And it all escalated because I was rejecting her more mm-hmm. and just not giving her what she wanted. And she was the kind of chick that could get whatever she wanted. She got all the attention. All the boys loved her and fucking right. you know what I mean. 
And, and so I said no. And basically she came at me like in math class or something and like grabbed my hair. By this point I could grow your hair. So I had long hair and she was like, you asshole, you know, talking <laughs> high school, Jesus. you know, like freshman year. No, this was sophomore year. And, um, and she fucking, and I literally got up and grabbed her and like, like pushed her and kind of like pushed her away. And she fell down, like made this dramatic fall and like a scene, you know what I mean? Right. And, right. And then the jock, like friend, boyfriend of hers was like, you fucking threw, you know, through her name was Lorna. And she's like, you threw fucking Lorna. You think you're tough, you know? And I was like, she fucking came at me, man. You know, we were yeah, having... yeah. anyways, um, that turned into a whole division at the school where we, the punks went up against the preps and fucking there was going to be a huge rumble. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. and my buddy Nick was like, my homie was like, we're going to fucking take them down. This is going to go down. Like I, I got you brother. And it was like, they were, we were all going to fight. And it was like the punks and the metalheads against the fucking yuppie preppy guys, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like an old '80s movie or something. Totally, dude. <laughs> For sure, I was just thinking that. The shit went down. <laughs> so funny, right? And, right. And when they figured out that I was at the middle of it, this little fucking rebellious metalhead kid, they fucking took me to the office one day and said, "We're sending you home." Wow. And I fucking cried, man. I was mm. like, I don't want to fly. <laughs> you know, like I was so yeah. I was just a kid. Totally. Yeah. And my mom was so pissed and but then i was psyched because you know i went to public school and i remember like but by the way i should insert that my first day at boarding school my roommate gave me a hit of acid and i fucking Ooh. tripped my first, first day <laughs> so i was like i fucking love boarding school did you go out and have fun or did you stay in the room i stayed in my room and i looked at i'll never forget i was there was like bunk beds because we shared you know there's like four of us in one room and i'll never forget fucking the springs tripping like the springs of the bunk bed and just like fucking just dissolving into the bunk and shit and just i basically lay down in a bed and just trip balls you yeah know? Yeah, but I was just so exciting and fucking a whole new universe open. Well, dude, yeah, you're you're in this new environment, and then you were just exposed to this environment that you didn't even know existed. Yeah, environment. Yeah. yeah, suddenly you're in, you're meeting it in a whole new way. So that was, and that was the beginning of psychedelics for me because when I went back to Miami, I was selling acid, you know, in high school. By my junior senior year, I was selling a lot of it. I sold musical note blotter and actually made some decent money and would keep it in, in the fridge at my mom's <laughs> and stashed it, you know, and, um, but yeah, so, but that was kind of a weird blessing and maybe my own attempt at sabotage to get back to Sean. Do you know what okay. I mean? Yeah. As I kept thinking about Sean and wanting to make music with him and our kinship, our brotherhood was so deep that we were like, we got to get back. we got to get back. Yeah. I'm tired of writing these letters. We need to go see these dreams through. Yeah. And Mark eventually, I think he eventually got kicked out of the boarding school as well <laughs> because he moved to Miami 
And okay. he brought a buddy of his down, this guy named Jack Kelly, and that ended up being Cynic's first demo. Um, okay. And that was like, yeah, I mean, that was really, so Mark came down. Mark was originally from Poughkeepsie, New York. And, and then Jack, his, 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 you know, homie came with them and he's like, yeah, my, I, cause I didn't want to sing. I was like, I just want to play guitar. And he was like, yeah, my buddy Jack can, can sing. And I don't think Jack had ever sang in his life, but he just, you know, just fucking made it happen in a punk kind of way. And I was interested in writing lyrics. I was always a writer. So that was really the beginning, man. And it was like, you know, we were still in high school, I, I guess, you know, this was like. 80 fucking seven. Right. And, and you're writing that rebellious political stuff you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think even weak reasoning was like against animal cruelty. I was like, you know, I was like into vegetarianism already back then, you know? Totally. And, um, so yeah, there was that stuff. And then, and then a lot of like society stuff and then like lyrics about psychology. I was just interested in, nerdy things were you a reader from oh deep reader man yeah like i lived in bookstores and my my favorite authors back then were people like um you know philip dick obviously like sci-fi stuff and ray bradbury Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i was just really into sci-fi and fucking alien i'm still asimov fan till i die dude yeah the the foundation series is you know one of my all-time favorite trilogy at least and even the expansion books are still good you know what's funny about that real quick to side note that like they after asimov passed there's a few authors that tried to like fill in the gaps of that timeline and it just never hit with with that i'm just like hearing them talk these same characters from asimov's books talk in a in a different way like uh Harry Seldon would never say, um, <laughs> you know, right. like he didn't have the voice. He didn't have the voice for the character. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a trip, man. How like that stuff, you know, it's that, that stuff for me, I realized was also planting seeds for what would merge in cynic sound too. It was like, you know, that early childhood stuff took a while to kind of coalesce subconsciously and come out as an art you know, as a sound mm-hmm. because we were still more in this rebellious fuck you phase of those early years, just more just, you know, um, like I remember a song called extremes. I think that was on the first demo and it was about like, like, like hypochondriacs and stuff and yeah, people who would make themselves. I mean, it's funny though, you know, lyrics are so interesting in that. And this is something I've, come to realize everyone everything is our mirror right everything is a reflection of ourselves we're just all reflecting each aspects of ourselves to each other like this is things you start to realize when you do high dose psychedelics you start to see Mm -hmm. holy shit i'm not separate like everything's connected and and so i i sit there and i think all this angst and this rebellion against the ways of the world but it's really like at war with my own shadow at war with my own unloved parts of myself my low self-esteem my all these things i was struggling with in those teen years which were so rough right 
in terms of like, who are you and what am I? I mean, I'm still dealing with that, but like, yeah, I think we'll deal with that forever. Yeah. <laughs> it, it changes. Never, it, like it changes. Done, man. Yeah. yeah. Like we're always yeah. cha- constantly changing as humans. So it's like, we have to find yeah. new identities as we get older. Yeah. It's an evolving organism and stuff, but yeah. So, but that's it. So Mark came down and, and he played on those first couple cynic demos. Um, first two. And then I think we just split with those guys and we got Tony. And then I think, it, you know, what it was, man, is that we were all pushing each other. We were interested. I mean, Maiden back then was like the proggiest of the metal bands, right? In terms yeah. of like really fucking cool, weird, noty riffs and stuff and conceptual ideas and fucking trippy lyrics. And so it was like just trying to go deeper and further beyond a maiden like and then being exposed to more progressive music and and you know i think for us i mean once like we got hip to like fusion and really extreme forms of jazz you know that was when it was like our brains blew open and we're like holy shit fucking there's infinite possibilities and chords and and this is so crazy you know how how much can be done and that's when it reached a whole other level where I felt like the, vo- the voice just kind of blossomed. And I always say this, we had, you know, Cynic, if Cynic had made a record the year we got signed, which was like, I think we signed in 91, 92, but then a hurricane came to Miami and fucking wiped, decimated the city. And it decimated our rehearsal space, which was out in the fucking boonies because wow. it was cheap. And we, we were ready to like almost had all the material ready to go bust out a record, which would have been pretty extreme. Like the 91 demo, I don't know if you guys are hip to it, but yeah, mm-hmm. it was like yeah. our peak brutal phase. And I actually had the most guttural voice and I sounded almost like Chuck Becerra. Chuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it finally kind of came into this full blown extreme thing. And, and then this hurricane came decimated Miami and we couldn't jam like everything was fucked for like a year so we all just like were in our bedrooms fucking woodshedding and we got everything just expanded like i just exposed to new information and books and writing and playing and And more acid and oh my god tons of more acid. (laughs) i mean we actually had a lot of incredible memorable journeys together as a band tripping and playing Mm -hmm where we would work on song ideas. Like I always say, like I just actually was WhatsApping with a, a homie earlier today saying he sent me a review of Ascension codes. And I was like, that guy's never done psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, anybody who's done psychedelics will understand our music better. Oh yeah. And definitely. It just, gives you insights and I can't tell you how many times over the years people had finally got a record or understood what we were doing because of psychedelics or something. And I would say that it was highly informed by them. I mean, all the mm-hmm. records and starting with focus really. So it was really kind of the beginning of like where you realize there's so much other potentials and realities and possibilities to create music. You break all the rules. You start to you know what I mean? You stop totally. out of all those boxes and riffs get, you go into new spaces. So that was like the real blossom, blossom moment where the lotus flower came. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. fully. 
and all the demos to me before then were just like it just percolating and it just right. And I'm so horrified of the mud. I'm like, fuck the mud. But <laughs> the mud's that metaphor. I mean, who totally. does all the time? It's like they even. I mean, look what mushrooms grow in, right? I, mean, I was gonna say the soil was the vessel for that seed to grow. You know. Oh, it's fertile ground, man. You know, fucking that, that, that's the fertile ground, man. It's, yeah. So, okay. So now after that year, how you guys scrounge up all the money, replace the gear that you guys lost in the rehearsal studio and start jamming again and, yeah. and bring these, well, bring these ideas into the jam setting. Yeah, we, well, it's funny. Like I remember because the hurricane was saying, oh, it's going to this part and not this part. They would always try and predict them. They never fucking knew where these things were going. They're fucking wild hurricanes. At this point, I don't even, I wonder if it was weather modification because I don't know what's real anymore with any of that stuff. But mm -hmm. I will say that I had the intuition to take my shit and bring it back to my mom. So I had my gear and just because we didn't know it was going to be big, I had my guitar, I had my, I think my main amp and stuff. And everyone actually took their shit home, if I remember correctly, because we didn't know how long we were going to be out for the count. Yeah. And, um, and Jason, I remember he literally, they all ended up in, cause he was out in the boonies they all ended up, the family ended up in the fucking bathroom holding the ceiling. Their whole house, the ceiling wow. ripped off and including his like grandma and shit, like in the fucking bathroom holding the ceiling up. His, he lost everything. I mean, it was just drenched. Like mm. my, where I was with my mom, fine. Everything was fine. Like I saw trees flying by. Sean was with me. He came over. It was like we were watching a movie that night, you know, <laughs> fucking like it was like weird psychedelic dream trees flying by and fucking the whole neighborhood was just really just destroyed. And then they started looting started happening. So all the businesses around us, like people were breaking in. It got a little wild, you know, in the city. Um, yeah, it was. And it just, I'll tell you, man, the way that that, hit was so hard and what's so interesting and this is another story that i'm remembering is right when after the hurricane hit we had just gotten home from the death human stuff you know mm -hmm. we had toured and everything imploded at the end of death humans tour chuck was basically a war started and the war started with chuck's girlfriend and our ex-bass player, who at the time was playing with, um, he was our bass player at the time, but he was also touring with Pestilence. And Pestilence were on the tour with, with Chuck, with Death and Us. And it, it there was a friction. It involved basically girlfriends. <laughs> and um, and the, the girlfriend started a lot of trouble. Chuck's girlfriend telling Chuck something that was very disruptive to him, involving that she was involved with our bass player, Tony, who was playing with Pestilence. And he didn't oh, man. know the story. And it was fucking gnarly. Chuck blew up. He, he basically went to war with Pestilence in the middle of the tour. Ah, oh, damn, dude. And I'm caught in the middle of it. Sean and I, because Tony was our brother at the time, right? We're like, mm -hmm. oh, fuck, you know? Like, no, he's cool, man. Like, 
And Chuck's like, fuck him, he fucking da da da, you know. And it was just a horrible environment. And the manager splits, <laughs> takes off. Eric Reif leaves us stranded in the middle of Europe. Oh, and, shit. I mean, it was rough, man. I mean, we were, yeah, and we were kids. And, well, I think we literally had to call our moms and, like, can you get us home? Like, we're fucking fucked. And, uh, damn, man. Yeah, it was, it was a rough situation. Mm hmm. And uh, but we got home, and then the hurricane hits, and then I'll never forget. I think that was the last time I really saw Chuck. Was that wow. Chuck? Um, because the whole tour imploded, a promoter took all of our gear from England. Um, like the bus, somehow the gear got misdirected or was shipped somehow to the UK. We were on our way there from Germany. Oh, man. Suddenly our gear was hijacked. So that's what happened. I didn't even have my fucking gear. It was in Europe. Whoa. Jesus. So our rehearsals place was destroyed, but Sean and I went up to Orlando because we finally got the gear shipped back to Chuck's and we went and grabbed our gear and brought it back to Miami. And so we brought it back to our homes. Right. And mm. so that was the beginning yeah. of like now writing focus. You uh -huh. know, and it wow. was like a, a year of not even really being able to jam because the city was just decimated. And Jesus. Yeah. Well, I had my four track and fucking I was trying to figure out like, oh, maybe I won't do all growls. Maybe I'll fucking do like something else. And I got hit to the vocoder and I came across this thing. And so all these ideas. Okay. Yeah. Thank, thanks to that hurricane. Wow. That's good. The really? vocoder thing that I so yeah. what turned you on to that? Like, where did you get exposed to that? You know, I always say like the vocoders, the birth of it was rooted in insecurity, man. I was so mm. scared of my own voice and insecure that I was trying to figure out a way to sing where I could hide. And I mm. heard, I thought, I don't, I also wasn't a big fan of power metal and like the operatic singers mm -hmm. or like death metal or something really weird. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, so I was like thinking how, you know, and I just came across, I think I'd maybe heard some vocodery things and some weird music, but it wasn't until I came across this Digitech pedal thing with this fucking, these pads that I heard this voice and I started to play with melodies and I was like, this sounds fucking trippy. Right. And, you know what I mean? And suddenly it's like, oh, fucking veil of my, you know? And it was like fucking that half step, you know? And it was just sounded really cool. And it was a weird sound. And and then it was like, oh, and then you can do the, the growl. And, it would, you know, it just all kind of mm -hmm. merged. Wow, so, dude. But it was really my insecurity. I was trying to, like, figure out a way to sing without, but hiding behind something. But it turned out what I was hiding behind sounded fucking cool because it sounded like a weird alien fucking android creature. And I was like, this is fucking rad. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. I totally hear that. Yeah, when it, when it, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say the label, though, Roadrunner didn't know this. And they thought they were signing the death metal cynic. And fucking, <laughs> oh. we go into the studio not telling anybody. And Scott Burns was like, what the fuck is this voice you're doing all over these songs? <laughs> He's like, we got to tell Monty. We got to tell the A&R guy. And I was like, oh, fuck, man. You're going to. And so we were like already doomed going into the studio, you know, like 
you can't just change your sound, you know, right. Like, well, this is where we are now, you know, yeah. fucking, this is what we sound like. But so we had to go through that situation, which was kind of rough. Was me. it? It was, oh, God. yeah, it was rough. And cause, cause they didn't understand what we were doing. I mean, the label was like, what the fuck is this shit? You know? <laughs> and they're like, how are we going to promote this? How are we going to sell this? This is not brutal death metal. So how did you convince them to, you know, we didn't, I think they, they, they did some, they did a cool ad campaign. They put us pestilence. Cause I think spheres had just come out with us at the same time. And a band called believer had a concept album, yeah. tech thrashy. And they right. had an ad campaign called the breed beyond. And it was like an ad that was pretty fucking. And I thought that's kind of cool. Like we were like the new school, you know, trippy band. We Outside had, of the box guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like our artwork was different. We weren't singing about gore and horror lyrics. And so they kind of found something, but of course it didn't go over well. You know, I mean, fucking we were hated, man. It was rough. We broke up. I we felt so unloved, man. I so mean, that, that's what the so core funny. of like bringing it to that. Like he, you're you're fighting against the current constantly and that's oh, kind of it was like against all odds mm -hmm. you know yeah and this is what i always tell young musicians and artists i say just do it the whole world will stand against you if you believe in what you're doing just fucking do it it's worth it it's worth it it's gotta Even be from no here dude yeah man because that's like the that's the fight worth fighting. Like fuck going following the, the, the norm or going really trust in your own voice. Do your own thing. Lead, lead you know. See ya Goss. Um I agree, so, dude. I, I Yeah, you know what I mean? Totally and it's but it's the hardest road. And you know, bands like Cynic, you know, we forged a path that we got really cut up, you know, it was very thorny road. It was thorny. There was, those woods were dense and they were fucking cutting us up. And to the point where it cut us so deep that we just lost our passion. And we, for like, we almost felt so defeated and unloved. We had a few highlights on that tour, Berkeley being one of them, but man, for the most part, it was just like heartbroken. Mm -hmm. everything all this energy into this record that meant so much to us it was like our life wow. and it just went you know and and we're like fuck it we're gonna fucking change our sound and fuck metal and fuck this and you know yeah and yeah, yeah that's when we went and started doing portal we were just like trying to find something new because we got we were lost mm -hmm. you know? again it was like who are we and no one likes us, you know. It's like there's a lot of movies like that too. Where it's like with the bombs of the box office, like no, you know, like yeah. Big Lebowski or something. Like Big Lebowski, like bombed the hardest exactly. like any movie yeah. could ever bomb, yeah. totally. and then it became the like most cult classic. DVD. Yeah, yeah, like cult classic, exactly. People it, came back to it. Like, I was gonna know. say, yeah, I think it was. It's just the classic um, example of something that was just ahead of its time, dude. Because yeah. then it then it marinates in the zeitgeist for. You know, what was it? Not, when was it? Ninety three when it came out. Yeah, it yeah. was like and like really internet age saved our ass, man. Yeah, so a decade mm -hmm. later, roughly, I come across it, and with how things have 
you know, progress societally and throughout the world. You guys saved our life. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is why we were just like, and it was Kelly in 2006 or seven calling me going, dude, People love you guys, man. Yeah, like, Kelly. Yeah. Kelly was on our show, and he had so much, so yeah. many nice yeah, things yeah. to say about Cynic. Dude. Oh, oh, dude, no. And I remember that phone call, and I was like, "What? Fucking, you see, like, no way." He's like, "They fucking love you, man." And okay. I, was like, I mean, I was like, "Oh my!" Like, you just I didn't believe him because we weren't even in the scene. I'd get the occasional email or something, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like in the early two thousands, but. Like so how long did did Portal last before you moved on to something else? Was it just for well, that album? Portal, Portal just made two demos, basically. That we I mean, did the two albums. I call it an album because of that. It was, just, it was really yeah. a series. It was two recording sessions um, over like a one-year period, but we did them um, one day and then one day, and that was it. And they were never really mixed. Those demos just became demos that got released. Did you guys play shows with that lineup no. and those songs? No. no. We jammed, but we never played any gigs. And um, yeah, and and basically, I think we Portal was in a situation where Roadrunner had a seven album deal with us. We said we're no longer Cynic, we're Portal now. And they said, okay, so we'll put out Portal. And we're like, no, we don't want no. you to put out Portal. It's not your sound. Mm-hmm. And so we had like some friend manager people give the portal stuff out and like TVT wanted to sign us. That was like nine inch nails first label and shit. Oh wow. And the, okay. this guy who signed the Melvins to that label and some like there was like Atlantic records, like all these majors. And we were like, yeah, we're going to be part of this other scene and we're done with the underground and we're going to fucking make it big and be like in this other, you know what I mean? Like weird dream pop music scene or something like ethereal shoegaze. I don't, you know, it was like, it's really kind of post rock, right? Mm -hmm. It's post rocky sound. And, and that basically turned into a bunch of legal situations. Roadrunner wouldn't let us out of our record deal. And we didn't get released out of the Roadrunner deal till many, many years later. So we actually got in such a legal mess entangled with, lawyers and roadrunner and all this shit that we really really broke up we just got so overwhelmed uh, with everything uh, yeah. how, do they, how do they bind uh, paul how do they bind you to that like because you, your your name is not is no longer the same you're now a different band and how does, yeah. how does roadrunner, like hold you they, legally they're signed by name they, they they they're signing you as an artist as the human oh, yeah okay. Yeah. So if you change, if you change your name, could you get around it? That's like the only way. Maybe actually, I never thought about that. <laughs> it was we were signed as like because they were literally like, yeah, you want to put out solo records, you want to put out. This is why when you see bands like like that have a side projects, a lot of times it comes out through their label. It's mm-hmm. because it's because the label has the rights to anything they do. Change your name to Mall Pasfidal and then you're all good. <laughs> well, I like that. Yeah, Mall Pasfidal. <laughs> um, good. Yeah, so we were, but we were so just disheartened by the business and so overwhelmed and so beaten up after everything that we just like, and we never said we're breaking up. We all just kind of dissolved and went our separate ways. Jason moved to Oregon. Fucking, I came out to Cali, fucking lived with my brother for a while, started going to UCLA, 
And then I remember like Scott Henderson and Josie Oreo were teaching at MI and I was like, Oh, I want to go see what's up over there. And I did an audition for them and they said, you got a free ride to our school. So I, wow. I went, you know, I was like, Oh, I guess I'm going to move to LA. You know, it was like, bam. And I had other family there, my aunt and stuff. So, um, so it was just like, I guess we're all kind of moving apart, you know, and we didn't really officially say we're broken up. There was no press release. It was just a quiet kind of dissolve Yeah. because it wasn't really even, I think we were so sad and so brokenhearted about it that we didn't even have, know how to put words to what was happening. We just, you and I mean, right? No, I do. I mean, you have a vision and this is what you, you're, you love. This is the music you want to make as artists and, and nobody's accepting it at the time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it brings tears to my eyes thinking about it. Cause we were so, we meant so well, <laughs> we really tried our best, man. And fucking, we got eaten alive, you know? And I'll tell you, even with the Roadrunner stuff, I mean, that era, like, they got us by the end, but it took a while. And there were so many people just saying, don't do this, change this. Those parts are weird. Those vocoder things, like, constantly trying to, like, steer us in a direction. And it's these wow. people that are business people. Yeah, you know? just money. Business, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, you guys, we're just yeah. fucking artists. Just, like, trust us and let us do our fucking thing. And fucking stop it's too much it's too much of a gamble for a person like that yeah it really is like yeah. i mean if you have to put yourself in this you know snake investor well, situation like investing you know yeah it's like, that's all, all it is the whole business goes south man it's like that's where it all loses art its and soul. business art and business just like clash yeah. never like, yeah, yeah. it will never unless you're unless it's your business as the artist yeah mm -hmm. but What's you know it? it's funny there was an era before this era and zappa's talked about it where they said that they there, there was a time where the guys in suits in the late 60s were signing um or 70s or yeah some era where they were just taking risks on stuff and yeah. just finding whatever yeah. right find the new thing yeah, just to find new things. And they didn't know what worked, but they were just like, mm -hmm. fuck it, like that, let's just sign that weird shit. Because they just didn't understand it. And then the age of the hipster A&R guys, they acted like they knew what was, they, they know what sells, right? Yeah. I know what sells. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, you fucking don't know what sells. No one fucking knows what, if you guys cracked the egg on knowing what sells, it would be a completely different business. I don't think anybody knows the formula any, mm -hmm. at all. Because you have it's so complex, collective, yep. very you know, complex. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's a good point. and nowadays, like a TikTok video will come out and then inspire a whole new genre of music. You know, it's oh like now and it's like insane now with all these different variables yeah. of it's social insane. media. Yeah, it's like it literally can forge the path of what's cool now is like social media. Could be like, <laughs> it's oh, like, this it's is cool. it's like it's run by, yeah, the, the, the technology's taken over, you know, yep. Yeah, we're working the first towards Terminator. That. <laughs> the first Terminator is like the, his Facebook is like the first. Well, it's like it's like, but in a different way. But it's still the same thing. You know what I mean? It's kind of like Terminator was like it's kind of sick and legendary now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. totally. Oh yeah. 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 So I oh, go for it. Go ahead. No, sorry. And he was. I was like, is it? So it's like cult, you know, because it's a it's an android, right? It's a cyborg. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
definitely. So, all right, after uh, that time where you guys officially split and everybody's off doing their own thing, um, are you and Sean still keeping in touch throughout that? Yeah, so basically, I moved to Cali and <clears throat> I basically said to Sean, you got to come out here. And we stayed in touch for two years, sharing music, demos. Constantly, I was sending him things and we just kept, it was almost like the next version of the, you know, the childhood thing, mm-hmm. long distance. And then he moved out and, um, you know, we found that, and that was when he moved in with me in a house I lived in, in, in Hollywood after a few years. Cause I had actually gone to MI for a few years and got so busy doing session work for TV stuff as a guitar player. I started working for a composer and, you know, was the guitar player for third rock from the sun in that 70s show and got, oh, wow. and I was like working for Ben Vaughn and, you know, I, I got in more and more in that scene and it was really cool. And I was like, Sean, man, this is the town. There's so many opportunities. Everybody's a musician. I mean, there's a lot of musicians out here making a living. We can do this, you know? And and I was sending him all this like early Eon Spoke kind of ideas, these folks type of folky songs. Yeah. And so he he was in a relationship. He actually was in a relationship with his first partner, boyfriend that he ever had. And it was this guy named Eddie was with him for, I think seven fucking years or something. He had met him even during focus era, you know, it was like, cause this was, yeah. Cause Sean moved to LA by like 98. I was there in 96. Wait, real quick. When did he open up to you about his sexuality? I want to know like when you guys both realized that you were also on that same wavelength. Well, I remember I started talking about it because I was accepting myself early, pretty young. But I mm-hmm. remember I first started sharing it with others, with the band pretty early in a very subtle way. But I remember like really coming out with it by the death human era, 91. Mm-hmm. Like really where I was just like, like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're going to go fucking after the show, we're going to go, you know, that dive bar across the street. I was like, Oh, there's a gay bar down the street. I'm going to go check that out. Yeah. And I remember Sean judging me, you know, at that time, fucking going to a gay bar, you know, (laughs) and I knew, you know what I mean? I knew. Yeah. yeah. Right. How was mom during that? Was she accepting? My mom was fucking rad. She sounds like she like you were telling me earlier yeah. that she's always been on your team. So I, I yeah, she was a, you know, the thing is, is that and this is another part of I think focus was informed by this is that I wanted to come out, you know, young. But at in those early years in Miami, all these guys from the Northeast were moving down here from New York and shit and all those areas because of the weather. Mm-hmm. At the height of AIDS, they were coming here to die. So there was this whole wave of AIDS, gay Jeez. men, HIV positive and full-blown AIDS population coming to my neighborhoods in Miami. And I remember thinking, holy shit, I can't, I, I want to, you know, all I wanted to do was come out and fucking hook up and have experiences. 
And I couldn't. I was. I thought I was going to die. Right. So I fucking and I. So I. I basically didn't act on anything and practiced more. And fucking just like woodshedded and was like I put all of that oppressed, suppressed sexual energy into my instrument. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of great art gets manifested by things like that. Angst. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. dude. Try yeah. not jerking off for like six months. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of like that where you're just not you're not able to fucking ventilate some shit but but thankfully i had an outlet i had music so i fucking just was like fucking riffs and fucking crazy shit and and it blossomed into this thing and so part of it was that and i would say the same was true with sean it pushed him as a drummer to work harder and we're like we're gonna be fucking sick musicians if we can't be gay because yeah. the scene also was like so homophobic he was brutal dude Don't, but i mean if you think that's like about that's it, like a common thing too right but like that's that's also yeah. you know your upbringing too you know maybe enough people around you will make you think that that's wrong so you gotta you yeah know, act out against it i mean my world was tolerant man i open-minded super liberal parents my father had gay fundraisers when i was a kid for fucking organizations and shit like he was mm-hmm. cool and oh, my yeah. um my my mom you know she had her gay friends i had a, you know a, a, a gay uncle a, a step uncle who um who became very close to the family who died of aids so it was it was around us i think my mom when i first told her she she fucking cried because she thought i was gonna die Oh, because yeah, back yeah. then, yeah, yeah, that's just so being being born in '84. Like, I I mean, I remember seeing it that on TV and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I've, at '84, I in 1984, I wouldn't have seen it because I was a yeah. little baby. But like, still yeah. into my early childhood, you would see constantly. My oh, parents yeah. would have the news on, which is something that, as a six year old child or something, should never be watching. But I'm just seeing these people sick with aids and they're scaring you with aids and i'm not saying that it wasn't a real thing but i'm just saying like that's what the news was oh feeding you all the time and i'm just like man that's scary dude really scary so i felt like oh fuck i can't go there man i can't do this so i i basically went celibate and Mm -hmm. fucking became a weird monk person and (laughs) Just a shredder monk into fucking reading Hinduism and shit, and fucking. That's just, where you found the Eastern. Yeah, I was deep into the Eastern shit, and fucking, I just like it all went in that direction, and it's just like, and you know, again, you have to trust all these things unfold in the way that they're supposed to. It was weird little blessings, I guess, that led to an art form, you know. So when did Sean stop being the uh, homophobic dude and say, "Hey, dude, yeah. I'm gay too." I, I, well, I remember, I, you know, it's funny, like I'm trying to remember the conversation, but I, I remember it was at his house and it was funny because I remember somehow it just kind of came up in a casual way. And then he told me how he was afraid to tell his mom, even though he knew his mom was not homophobic, his mom was just the most cool, open-minded person on the planet and just a a school teacher and just rad. And he was like, I'm scared to tell my mom because of societal stuff. 
Yeah. And I was like, I know. I was like, we were coming to, to realizing that how societal, you know, how influenced we were by the world around us. And we had these real conversations about it. So I think it just kind of came into a very, just organically, it just was like, oh, okay, of course, fucking, of course you are. Fucking, <laughs> on, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and cause on some level, we probably both knew it when we met the day we met, you know what I mean? Like, right. like, like spotted each other. Like, oh, fucking, you're one of those fucking freaks. Pepper, too. pepper, pepper guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can some on some level, you know, there's so many layers to that. Right. But, yeah, totally. took many so the, years. I was going to say, so he's coming out to L.A. now and and the Eon Spoke stuff starts to percolate, yeah. which, by the way, I'm going to call out two songs, Calvary of Calvary of Woe and Nothing. Those are my two favorite songs Ooh. on the album. Right. Both of those songs I could listen. To, I had an experience with them today because, you know, every time we do one of these things, we get we get the we get to uh you know, cram all the stuff depending on the artist with listening to mostly yeah. their stuff. But this was another one where I was like, cause as a listener, I like to shelf. I like to sh just shelve the ones that I love so much to let them have my distance from them. So it hadn't been, it's been a while since I've sat with cynic, you know, and I yeah. really had my experience this week and it was oh, probably yeah. my favorite. And my favorite cram for any episode was right. this week. Dude, did a deep dive. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I, I'd like to chime in real fast about it. So I, I just love all your work, man. And I'm such a huge fan. Um, but I just had this super insane experience listening to uh trace Denaire, but like the remastered one. And, Cause I love the old one, but just, I just was like, Oh, it's on my Apple music. Okay. I'll check out this one, you know? And I, I like in my car and I, I was like, just it like, blew me away and like hit me in a way that was just like it was like emotional man i was like yeah God, dude like dude, I was i've just, cried to i've cried to trace an air like probably i, I don't know yeah, i cried to trace an air this week guys <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, there's a part uh, in uh an adam's murmur yeah. where i remember like we used to be on tour and bands and stuff like that and i remember driving in the middle of like ohio or something and it's just oh, it's just cornfields and nothingness you know and there was a part and I was like, the whole band was awake, and I just started just crying, <laughs> like, Aww. and like, you know, I was like, it just like hit me, like, that's, I was going through a lot too back then, and and, and that album, I mean, Focus too, <laughs> you know, with the guitar playing and stuff like that, really like learning textures and stuff when I was a kid, like, yeah, like trying like trying to get those down with Carrie, like, like we're trying to get the two different parts <laughs> down together, and we were like, we were so into it, and then uh, Tracer came out. I remember like I was like, okay, you know, I was like, I was kind of like a elitist by this time. I was about a little elitist, you know. I was like, I don't know, I like Evolutionary Sleeper, but the rest I'm not really into. Yeah. And like, and then, and then, like, it turned into my favorite out, like, top three albums of all time. That's, like, wow. it's, it like transformed. Like, you know, you get one song, it's like a little seed that's playing yeah. in your brain. You're like, whatever, I like that song. That's pretty cool. But what, you know? And then, like, yeah. next thing you know, like, oh, this song's really good too. This, oh, the whole fucking album's amazing. You that's know, cool. it kind of just grows yeah. on you. You know, well, it's like, yeah. I was just gonna say with the a eon spoke stuff did you guys gig with that at all yeah we did a little um yeah actually we did a lot we did a lot okay so yeah in la and then we went to england and played some gigs in germany but not not really proper touring um it was like just that was another band that um 
you know, probably my most prolific period of writing. As a matter of fact, like I've got, you know, I archived, I dug up recently all the demos from that period. And I found like 70 something songs. Wow. No one's ever heard. And so, yeah. So I was just going to say real quick, you just made me think of something because you, you, you gave me a new piece of information tonight, which was the vocoder was kind of the thing that you were hiding behind. But yeah. it's obviously Eon Spoke shows that you stepped outside of that. And now you have the confidence to sing because yeah. the, your vocals on that album are, are fucking great, dude. Yeah, so thanks, good. Man. No, I mean, that was really the emergence of me not hiding anymore. Yeah, you fully blossomed as yeah. the vocalist at that point. Yeah. I felt like, okay, well, you know what it is? It's like finding... I feel like for me, especially singing and stuff, it's like trying to access uh, the truth. You're trying to get to like the most honest aspect of, of oneself and then try kind of articulate that through your voice. And the voice is an instrument where some people put on voices, they put on characters. Mm-hmm. Right. For me, I didn't have the t- technique or chops to put on characters. I could only sing in my own humble little way you know and so i found but i found the truth in it and that's when i was like okay this is cool and i actually found great joy in singing i found it to be therapeutic for me to sing and to open my throat chakra and to enunciate and say words it was like oh this is so good for me you know right it was like healing and shit so um that's i love that that's really cool like what the Yeah, like you starting off with like the you know like the more metal vocals in the beginning. And yeah. Then you're like, well, I want to kind of I want to kind of show myself a little bit. Then you put a vocoder on it because you're kind of like, well, I'm not really ready. Yet, you yeah. Yeah. And then it's like you go to you know, the Eon Spoke stuff. You're like, fuck it. Well, this is me. This is how I yeah. do. Yeah. And it's it's really cool to see the evolution from like right. the, from that to you know to where you came to. Yeah. And then Cynic, it was like it always felt, although kindly bent, was probably the cleanest vocal record because it felt it's the most raw. Of, of cynic stuff it also i felt like the the vocoder is such a sound it's part of the sound the vibrational imprint of cynic that that's true it kind of needs to be in there you know yeah. that's why i went in a heavy way on the new album like you know i was doing proper keyboard or vocoder and shit like it was like i'm going i'm going all in with this again because it just feels so right you know right but, it's the proper vibration for okay cynic. yeah so now to get through the we've gotten through the eon spoke stuff so and kelly hits you up hey yeah you guys guys are a hot commodity now we we need more everybody else wants more so so that was it that was the beginning of the transition i you know there was a bunch of synchronicities and kelly was one of them probably one of the biggest ones and i remember getting off the phone with them and i think sean may have been with me at that moment and just turning to him and saying, I think we're supposed to do Cynic again. And was Eon Spoke still a thing you guys Eon were was still doing? a thing, but we were mm-hmm. frustrated. Um, we had been through some record deals stuff and business things. And, and I think we just, you know, it's very much my heart was in the, in those songs in a very transparent and honest way. But I think that we, you know, had reached a, I think we were up against a big, 
like a Titanic in terms of the problem with Eon was that it was so commercially viable that it's like an all or nothing. There's like no underground, like the indie scene that we were part of in LA was like the sharks that came out for that were like the huge labels. And I remember being in the office of Interscope fucking playing songs for them and all that shit. And, and it was just like, so it's like an all or nothing environment as to where the metal scene and the underground, which we came from was, there's just more loyalty. It's more underground. It's more, like it's a different kind of scene. It's more independent. It's not, do you know what I mean? And just, more collective yeah. maybe. Yeah. And, and Kelly really, he just, when he said that, it just felt like, okay, I guess, I, I guess this feels like it was just a bunch of synchronicities, man. It, I think it was seven things. It, one of the things was also a letter or an email from a fan from Russia who said, I had a dream. I was at a festival and I saw you guys play. You reunited. Wow all this stuff. And so it was like, I think it started with that email and then it was the Kelly thing and this other thing and this, and it was like, Whoa. And I just, once. I heated the echo, man. You know, mm-hmm. I listened and, it's very Jungian of you. Like that's actually yeah. what, what made Carl Jung follow the rabbit hole to, to explain the synchronicity was a, a, not oh, just one or two things that happened, but like six or seven or eight things yeah. that happened in a row. You can't deny it. Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, I live that way now. Like, I literally, like, if you just drop something, say something to me. I might, like, after we get off this call, I'm going to be researching it and might be booking a flight somewhere. Because I, <laughs> I literally will make. I follow synchronicities a lot in life, too. Yeah, Good, man. I mean, the universe is always handing you clues. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. how I look at it, dude. Yeah, dude. It's it's like it's constantly pointing you in the direction. Like there's there's a Buddhist slogan that says, "You don't try to figure things out," which is like, in other words, don't try to control reality. Actually, yeah. like ha- trust that everything is sorted. Just show up, pay attention, listen, mm-hmm. pay it like almost like in awe, in awe and humility of, of what's going on because this thing's fucking running whether you like it or not. Exactly. Yep. And if you just pay attention, you don't really have to make any decisions. It's all just, it's just being in a flow state, you know? Yeah, exactly. Dude. And you're just like, bam, okay, now we go here and fucking get, and a lot of people, you have to be in a creative space, I think, to live that way because I think most people who are used to a very structured nine to five kind of, you know, very mechanical life that can be very stressful to them because they're, they yeah. don't know, do what I mean. They don't know like what's going to happen next. They don't know they're in control of their reality, but I, I love in being in that free fall, man. I love not knowing what's next, not knowing what's going to happen, not making any plans, just showing up and listening and, mm-hmm. And it's it's very uh, it tests you. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's definitely I mean, not always uh, a hard, uh, easy thing to do. No, know? it's and the not- yeah, universe always like it. Like for me, you said humility. That's like huge because like for me, the universe has always found a way, or whatever you know, what do you want to call it, has found a way to strike me down when I'm too cocky or i'm not like i'm kind of i'm like oh i'm I'm for sure about something it's gonna it always like will turn out the opposite and then yeah. it'll somehow it'll, when i'm not and i'm kind of like open to it and like 
have like, oh, it's probably not going to happen. I don't, you know, I'll work for it, but it's probably, you know, then it happens. <laughs> and like, yeah. and like, if I get too like full of myself or something like that, like it, the universe goes like, no, calm the fuck down. Like, stop yeah. like thinking like that. And one of the uh, side note I wanted to go off on is that, uh, you know, I was raised uh, in Santa Cruz on like a bunch of Buddhist retreats, like a whole growing up. Santa Cruz, you kidding? I've yeah. done a bunch of uh, retreats in uh, at Vajrapani. I don't know if you know. Oh that. yeah, yeah, I do for yeah. sure. Pema Pema yeah. Osaling was the one I used to. Uh, that was like the one with Lama Tarchin. That was like he used to take care of me as a kid. That was like oh you know, no shit. Yeah, he used to like literally was you know he was my caretaker. He was like with his wow. all the, you know all the kids and the uh, Tibetan kids and stuff. But for me, my mom was in the you know doing the in the in prayer doing the soak doing all, all the things cool. and i was like out, out you know like shooting squirt guns and having fun yeah. but there was like there's there's one thing i wanted to mention about you just even watching you you know i've watched like old interviews of you and stuff you have that you have that kind of same like there's this energy that when i would when i would like hug him that was like as a kid that was like it was just i don't want to say it for the you know the tiktok people but it was different <laughs> like it was just a different like it was something like a warm comfortable his smile just lit up a you know like it was in and he passed away on my birthday by the way just, you know, i mean i mean well this is years ago but the, the yeah. fact that like in the tibetan you know like ritual like yeah. it was like i went to a funeral like right around my birthday and stuff and um it was you know just such a link and such a special person like it was and I, I i've always you know i'm not uh religious in any way but my mom was uh, deep into Buddhism and stuff, but uh, I wouldn't really call that even religion, really. But no, I mean, um, isn't considered a, like traditionally. It isn't. A, no, no, it's yeah, yeah. It's just treat people nicely, and you know, like there's people that have been Christian that have walked up to the retreat to come, like to come yell at him and stuff. He's just like, I love you. Like yeah. uh, it's fine that you like you believe that. Like I'm super happy that you believe that. Blah blah blah. And uh, I was always like, damn, that's you know, for all the like angry like sign picketing people he was just like i love you <laughs> i was like it's like a ramdas ramdas would act that way too oh you yeah. Know? yeah oh definitely, definitely. ramdas is somebody that i i you know i skimmed the surface on i wish i could go deeper on him but Dude, i do have right. from here now that's that's uh, yeah be, be here, here now. now excuse me yeah. i have that book and i it's actually a work of art in itself too yeah. so flipping oh, through yeah. every page of that it it's it has this energy every page wow, yeah. that you it's like kind of radiates with something that you get while you're reading through this beautiful work of art that's mm. giving you ancient wisdom you're just like yes yeah. dude yeah ram das is man and he's the you know youtube is a treasure trove of, of lectures man and talks oh yeah that are just you can go down on down ram das rabbit holes that are just fucking mind-blowing man he's, right he changed the world, man. I mean, that dude fucking. Same with Alan Watts, too. You have oh, a, a recent, uh, on the newest album, you have a, 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 yeah. a sample from one of his talks. And you could listen to that man talk forever. I could yeah. literally go for, if I had nothing else to do, I could have him in my ear soothing me the whole yeah. time, you know? Yeah, Alan's fucking, I know. He was so, like, articulate. That old British accent is just fucking, you could, like, he just felt so... And he just, he could just articulate the most complex shit and like break it down, you know, in a way that was like understandable. Um, do, you, do you listen to McKenna at all? Oh, are you kidding me? He's like, he's, just, I mean, you're like, those are like the top three right there. You know what I mean? Exactly. Dude, like Watts, McKenna, Das, you know, like, ah, yeah. I, and so when I was in high school, get this, man, 
I was, it was my senior year of high school in, in Miami. My mom took me to a reincarnation convention and Ram, uh, no, Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna spoke. Wow. And I remember being in this little conference room, hearing Terrence McKenna talk about fucking DMT and all this shit. And I was like, who is this fucking trippy wizard motherfucker <laughs> who was just so cool? You know what I mean? And I remember when I left that room thinking, God, I could have transcribed that talk and it would have been, it could be a book. Like yeah. he spoke like so his mastery of language, you know? Oh, dude, that's, that's my, one of my favorite parts is his vocabulary and how he just, and 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 you hear because i'm only listening in audio and i'm of course you can go online and watch him listen watch him talk and i've done that but still just always constantly like this guy has no notes in front of him this is him literally just he's just riffing bro riffing hard on on the most complex like out there ideas that you that nobody else is talking about dude and and it'll make you it'll make it make sense I know. No, he and he was like a poet and an artist. He was a true creative being of light. Like he just he fucking his his he was so beautiful. I'll know? recommend something. I don't know if you've already listened to it, but um Psychedelic Salon is a podcast. Oh yeah. So on there there is uh at least one episode of him just riffing about James Joyce Finnegan's Wake. Wow. And it is one of the most, as a reader, a, a owner of Finnegan's Wake, it's the hardest book to crack I've ever had, dude. Wow. I don't know if anybody else has listened to it. No, uh, James Joyce, I mean, so that's... He, like so this was his last book that he put out, and he totally just flipped the English language on its head, made up his own language, but there right. actually is, like... Terrence McKenna breaks it down and it's like, this is what he's saying right here. I, I couldn't. You got to send me that. I will. I will yeah. definitely. I'll, I'll find out the episode and I'll send it to you because it is, it is great. Cause he goes into all his glossolalia shit and Fuck, man. yeah, it's good stuff, dude. No, Terrence was like a true scholar. His brother too, dude. His brother has a great book called, uh, brotherhood, uh, brotherhood of the abyss and it's his recollection of them at la Chirera when they all just freaked out on mushrooms yeah, yeah and they literally dennis, lived right? on yeah yeah dennis is his brother and cool, and dennis actually he got out there the farthest because they were literally literally living on like dinner size dinner plate size mushrooms for like two weeks that's all they were eating Jesus. and at the time they're trying they get so fucking out there on shrooms dude that Dennis had this idea that that through sound, if you the sound that the mushroom was making, if you could hit that same frequency with your voice, that you would be able to bring the good shit into reality, which would be hash mixed with weed intertwined with human DNA. <laughs> and, I believe it. I believe it. And at the synchronistic moment of that night is at the same night where Terrence went out and saw a UFO. He comes back and he's got hash in his pocket that he didn't know what, where it came from. Wow. There you go. And, and he said out there, he had not talked to anybody with hash, didn't bring it out there with him. But for some reason there was this little fucking chunk of hash in his pocket wow. after all that dude. And they didn't, they didn't, 
it wasn't like the philosopher's stone style hash that they were looking for but it still was some good shit you know wow (laughs) that's a trip yeah dude but that it's also the recollection of of them growing up as kids and and all the brotherhood of this i i'm probably i think it's the brotherhoods of brotherhood of the abyss or okay i'll have to check it out i've heard terrence tell the stories and i've seen dennis talk a bit too on that stuff from those times yeah but i didn't know about the book that's cool it is it's a great read I so, definitely have a. I definitely have a question about. We are the, in the weeds uh, right now, guys. I know. We've been in the weeds for a while. <laughs> I want, it's a question. I, I I don't write out questions for anyone, by the way. And I wrote out a bunch for you, <laughs> just because fucking it's Paul Masvidal. Um. So during uh, we had a Steve DiGiorgio episode, and he was talking about, um, like I think he was talking about recording human. I have no idea, but he was talking about recording an mm-hmm. album. I forget. But he said that um that him and Sean kept going like they were super stoned and they were recording and they were like. Focus, that, focus, 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 focus. Yeah, that that like, was human for uh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they were like, they kept saying focus to each other, focus. And he's all, he's yeah. like, I, I rewatched it like uh, today. And he's like, a year later, like Sean comes up to me. He's like, well, I've got a new Cynic album. He's all, what's it called? It's called Focus. He's all, fucking course it is. Like, is that, do you, is that like a, was that like a mantra of, of like, of you guys just being like, fo- like, was that like a, a thing or did it just come out of the blue? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. The origins of the title, man. Um, Like, I remember there was a lot of things thrown around, including song titles. And I can't remember where Focus came from. It's I wonder if that's in an interview somewhere, you know, historically, because it's like, was it Sean and Steve and Sean just dropped that one day? And it was like, yeah, that works or... I can't mm. remember, but it, I just re- I do remember when the word kind of came into focus, and it was like, of course, yeah, like that makes sense. It's simple, and it's two syllable, and the name's two syllable. It just seemed to kind of balance everything out, you know. Mm-hmm. But maybe, maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe that's the origins. I, I can't really like even remember actually where that happened. But I just remember when I, when it did, it was like, this is it, you know, this is definitely mm-hmm. the title. And, and I remember there was another band with an album called focus at the time or, or something like that, like some seventies band or something that I can't remember, but there was some band from an earlier era that had an album called focus. I, and I remember someone bringing that up or something. It was like, but yeah, it's a, that's a really good question. You stumped me there, man, in terms of the memory of where that came from. I have to, maybe I have to do some, an, an Ibogaine dosage to take me back to the memory. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of get that job. You know, that's what they say memory. I do. It'll bring you back to these like very specific memories. Yeah, you know? dude. I, I, I listened to... Uh, Aubrey Marcus, I listened to oh, him yeah. talk about yeah. uh, his Ibogaine experience and how it was kind of like a advent calendar. And if you thought of anybody living or dead, you can just all of a sudden you'd float up to one of the windows, open the door, and there would be your your deceased grandma that you can have a straight up conversation wow, with. Jesus. And and yeah, ibogaine is something that sounds really trippy. Yeah. I I did while I was going to grab a beer real quick. I remembered it's not it's Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss. 
That's okay. what, that's the book. Yeah. Okay. That rings the bell. I'm not trying to bring it back to McKenna again, but I'm just saying I remembered the missing <laughs> word. I knew there was a missing word in there. <laughs> okay, let's let's all right, we'll take it back out of the weeds for a second. Let's get back on the the timeline real quick. So we're at the point where again, I, I think I already tried to bring it back here, but we went into the weeds. Uh so there is people asking for cynic. You realize that that cynic is something that that the people are wanting, you know, you, when did you guys make that decision? Like, okay, let's, let's start putting yeah, back I into the cynic. Turn to Sean moment. And I think he was like pretty in agreement from the get go. And, and then it was like, okay, how are we going to do this? Like, where's our band? You know, at this point, Jason had quit music and moved to Oregon and it's like, he's had a family and, was completely out of the business. So we actually turned to friends in the scene in LA and found out about Mavis, David Sinescu, who was a good friend, old friend of my friend, Dan West, who's like a jazz musician. And he said, Mavis is a drummer, but he actually plays guitar pretty well and he'll understand the rhythms and be able to pull the cynic shit off. And we're like, okay, cool. And uh, cause at that point it was just focused. We were thinking about, and and then, um, and then we contacted Chris, who had played with Portal, mm-hmm. and, um, and started to learn, you know, the songs. And and then I think I got so inspired that Evolutionary Sleeper kind of came out of those rehearsals and kind of playing the focus material again. It was like I, that song just kind of came out, and we started to jam it. And then we started to play it at the shows. We were like dropping a, a new song, you know? And um, so it was like kind of, which was the incentive. Cause originally it was like, we're just going to go do this reunion shit and call it a day. What was the first reunion gig? Or, or was the- uh, I think it was, was it Hellfest? It might've been. The, is it online? Is there like a festival of you guys online or something? Yeah. Like I feel like yeah, I saw it. It's a, you guys playing evolutionary sleeper. Yeah, I think it might have been Hellfest, man. Uh, Gilbert's saying it's Wacken. Is it was it Wacken? Was it Wacken? No, over there? Later. That was later. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hellfest, I think it may have been Hellfest because I remember, I just remember like we started playing Veil of Maya and the crowd's just singing along. Yeah. You know, like thousands of people and I literally... I'm like fucking crying. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, Oh my God, people like us. You know? Yeah. Like, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Yeah. I was like, Oh fuck. This is. And so we suddenly felt like people understood what we were doing. So did you have that feeling of like, you're getting ready to go on stage for the first time and you're like, is it going to happen again? Like, are yeah. they, Oh, you're, I mean, you're scared like hell. Right. I and mean, we were so scared, but then again, there was a lot of anticipation and we had all this um, work leading up to it that kind of like people contacting us excited about the show. So we kind of had some buildup. Um, I think I have to take this dog out for a minute. Go for it, dude. Go we'll, for we'll it. Chat. Go for it. Yeah, we, we got some stuff. Like literally about. scratching the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go for it. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll hold it down. Can you give go me a down. minute? Yeah. Yeah, we got it for No sure. problem. Figure out really quick. Oh, yeah. Goddamn. Dude, where's There's Joseph? Good... Where's the professor uh, at? I don't know. This is the perfect time. I think I feel like uh, 
my guess with the with Joseph is that he's like enthralled in the conversation and doesn't want to just jump in because that's how I was with the uh, that podcast you guys did the other night. And I was like, "Fuck, this is like a sick." You guys are having fun. Everything's vibing. I don't want to just jump in. Just be ah, like, hey, dude. we would have you jump in wherever it would have been fine. Yeah, yeah. We had, but this would be an opportune did, time. Did for you Joseph jump in, Joel, on the last one? Like literally, at, like he says, it's sure. at ten or like ten fifteen or something, and I was like, or eight fifteen. I don't even know. But yeah. I was like, I'm gonna jump in like within ten minutes before it ends, and I did like, and it stayed a little longer. But yeah, thank you guys well, for all showing up. We're trying to fucking well before Paul. Yeah, comes dude. Back, I know we just... haven't even mentioned the chat yet, dude. dude the chat is dude, killing. You guys are Hell killing, yeah, dude. dude. And thanks yeah. for yeah. hanging with us, dude. We're all like I mean, so stoked. I know. We're I know. I'm like, I'm so nervous. Like, I got like, I got yeah, too drunk. All, no, you're not. Like, Are you got still too, nervous right now? Relax, dude. No, no, no uh, I got too drunk uh, though. Now I'm like, I'm all worried about no, like, my speech. Res- Hello, how we're are you doing? Of, I am. In a- <laughs> it's out of respect, man. Like if you're no. not nervous for a Paul Masvidal episode, then what's going on? You don't know exactly. what's up, dude. I'm saying, I'm saying that we usually don't. I'd be like interact with the chat as much, but we have literally. We're trying to interact with the chat. Keep popping it up. That's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry if you guys had any questions. That it's hard guys, to do like a podcast where we're deep, we're deep in a conversation. Like I see the chat, uh, I'm like, God damn it, I want to like talk about that. But then like you're in a conversation, so it's like we're trying to figure out the middle ground of this it. This is so good right now, though, guys. This is yeah, yeah. This is all. We just so need to great. let it happen. Yeah, he's ta- he's telling the great oh, stories. He's God. a great guest. We're so stoked. Couldn't be more stoked. It's awesome. Yeah, dude. No, this is a this yeah. is. A milestone episode for this show and it wouldn't be where it is today without you guys the community that's here with us right now and the people who are going to be listening to this on yeah. youtube or watching us on youtube and all that stuff like you guys are all part of the reason why we get to have mm-hmm. a legend like this on right now you know yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly yeah. Fuck dude yeah. fuck yeah we're honored by people that watch the show and dude fuck we're we're so stoked to be here and we're like stoked to share it with you guys it's almost like we're all like kind of involved like we're all Dude, we're, we're right know? here with you guys we're all chat. fans we're all, all the, yeah all yeah. you guys that are uh, fanning out right now we're doing the exact same thing dude. yeah dude like oh dude so multiple flip-flops that's what's up justin yeah, dude. hell dude, yeah dude yes that's what's Fuck up yeah. guys i got them on love right now guys. dude love you guys uh, Fuck. Oh, you, i know <laughs> When I made the little uh, clip thing, I probably shouldn't have made him orange. But <laughs> by the way, I don't want to like endorse. Orange, glad. I don't want to endorse like a company because. Oh, okay. I'll say like what we don't af- we don't affiliate with any companies, but those rainbow sandals, sandals. Oh my God, I can't even see sandals. Sandals are like rainbow the, brand most, sandals. That's the most up, comfortable dude. sandals I've ever had, dude. I gotta say, yeah, Anthony, thank you that. so much for the recommendation. On you know, I'd come with quality, bro. Rainbow sandals. And he's wore a lot uh, of sandal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You know. What if we can strike up a deal with Rainbow Sandals and somehow get Anthony's face like be on expensive. the bottom? I said, dude, if we do that, we got to go right. And yeah. anybody who actually wants to buy them, dude, then they're fucking... so comfortable. Oh, dude, yeah. remember when I said this? Spend some money. Remember it's when like... I said this? When you got to talk the talk, you got to flip the flop. Oh uh, yeah, that's a great, great. We, we haven't said it since. Really? So it was like a drunk thing that I said, and I was like, oh yeah. That I, was thought funny had, I thought I, we had the thing that you, on the goes on, you, the, on the bottom. Sorry. The, what are those called? The things that you run at the bottom when I'm I think there drunk? is a, I think there is a sand. I think I put a little tiny Cali Death thing on the bottom, but you can't tell because it's already in a moat, so you can't like. I put like a Cali yeah, Death sandals. thing on there. <laughs> like, it's so small. <laughs> it's <laughs> like I'm all dude. It'll be on there. What's up, buddy? Hey, 
Hey, we're, hey. we're talking because uh, one thing about this show that we haven't even mentioned really is uh, flip flops, animals, and, and animals too. And animals, yeah, we we like to see the the pets too. But uh, I'm, oh, I'm a flip flop guy. I'm a flip guy because I came from the beach town, you know. So it's, I want to ask you, what's your flip flop to shoe oh, I ratio? Say, I mean, I I have like so many, but right now I've been wearing these. You know, they're kind of like they're actually a type of Birkenstock. Oh, oh damn! Okay. Oh, they're all like yeah. Those are oh, like crazy nice, good for your back and shit. Those are like. Yeah, they're comfy and stuff, and this is what I've been wearing for a while. They're yeah, they're they're like rubber Birkenstock vibe, you know. Nice, okay, okay. Nice. But I have a lot of old school flip flops, you know, and yeah, I mean, you got it, dude. Yeah, so much easier. So much easier. Yeah. <laughs> so but one thing, one thing with flip flops that I'm I'm having trouble with because I'm I'm trying to switch to flip flops. Um, I, I, I got a Vans croc where it's Crocs, but it's actually, yeah. it's a Vans slip on. That's a croc. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. yeah they just started making them. I'm like, I'm what buying a random it, like. collaboration. <laughs> but I know, but I like walking around with flip flops. I'm like trying to be like, I like to be like not seen or I don't know. I just like to be like on my own and flip flops go like, yeah, everywhere I walk. It's like, I'm trying, I'm making this noise with my feet. I'm like, it's annoying me now. So this is the thing, dude. <laughs> it's it's like walking too hard. You're walking too hard, dude. You got to curling my no, toes. No way. Gotta, I'm oh, trying to put the. Back. Oh fuck that! Feel, it sounds just, awesome. Li- just you like the, the sound? I like it. I'm all about it. They dude. won't slap you. If you nice. just chill while you walk, they won't slap you. Yeah, it's like strutting. It's like. But I'm I'm flat-footed, so I I found like over the years that especially if I'm doing a lot of walking, and I don't have a car right now, so I do a lot of walking unless I'm doing an Uber or bike riding, whatever, but um, is that I like arches and those have a really just a yep. arch on them. Mm-hmm. Like, so a lot of the flip-flops I wear has been more Birkenstock school or stuff like that that has a more emphasized arch. I even have a croc type big flip-flop that's like got this sick arch, you know, because it's, if I do classic old school flip-flop, which I have some of them, and I walk a lot. I fucking I'm limping, like, like it just like right. hurt my feet and shit because because I have no arches, you know. That's why you people. Yeah, yeah. Everybody needs to get the rainbows, dude. They got the arch, dude. Oh, really? The yeah. best sandals I've ever owned, dude. They're amazing. Oh, I haven't heard of those rainbows. rainbows. They're all and simple. Mine are made of hemp, and I've had them for 20 years, and it took maybe like they're amazing. the first year for them to really conform. But once they yeah. conform, they're Oh, they're, they're long, dude, yeah. like I just said. I've had them for 15, 20 years. Probably I'm wow. going over it, and they don't fall apart. They're literally ready for everything, dude. Damn, I'm looking like at mine in those, dude. Just curl the toes, dude. That's oh, like, yeah, yeah, dude. Nice. So, all right, back onto uh, the festival circuit that you guys were doing. That's okay. where we were at. So Evolutionary Sleepers, the new song in the set. Um, Hellfest. Yeah, it, like, it was like a seed planting, really just like, because we felt like we got to drop something beyond like just the history. You know, otherwise we're just this band like milking the past. And I think it was just the artist in, in me just being like, I've got to offer something new. And you know what I mean? It was just like, we got to drop something. And the reaction to that song was so positive. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's just like everyone was digging it. That it was just like it. It really lit lit 
lit us up. And I, I listened think, to that. A bo- I don't know if it was a bootleg version of that yeah, song. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we uh, we listened to that hundreds of times, dude. Yeah. Waiting for Trace and to come out, dude. Oh, dude. But I'll tell you, I came home from that those tours, and I was fucking on fire. Trace Denier just poured out of me. You know, it was wow. like the record just. It was like all that mojo from the audience just came came in and fucking bam. It was like it mixed in with the focus history and just where we were now. Which the was cynic crazy. battery was recharged and full charge. And it was just like, like I had, it was so easy, you know, mm-hmm. like to just make that record in terms of like, it felt so natural. And yeah. so that was a good sign you know, that this was the right direction. It was like, oh, yeah, this is what we're supposed to be doing. It's so good, dude. Yeah, yeah. and Sean was on fire. And, yep. I mean, like, Malone, Malone, you know, was, I'll tell you, like, the circumstances in which we cut that record. Malone, I remember, because I even stumble upon these things once in a while, going through archival things of Malone, because we have thousands of emails over the years beyond having lived together in phone calls. But I remember like turning him on to evolutionary sleeper and maybe Adam's murmur or something and him sending him demos of the stuff. And he was like, okay, you guys are onto something. I want to, I want to be involved again, you know? And we were psyched because we were like, Malone was like our spirit brother in terms of like, you know, just a deep connection musically. Yes. And, um, and when we went to cut Traced in Air, we knew his all his bass lines and stuff because we had jammed with him and we also, he had, you know, had full on demoed everything and sent us things. So we knew exactly what was happening. But what he had a, an unfortunate circumstance happen right before he literally was coming to, to cut bass for the album because we had kind of brought him out. He was teaching at the time in a school in, in Florida. And um, Sean and I were already full-blown LA people living there. He he got robbed and his his room, like his apartment was completely raided. I think it was on campus of the university that he was a professor at. And he lost everything and the things that- So he came home to that or, or did he-, he No, it was right before he was cut base. So it was like the like literally like two weeks before he was coming to cut base. No, I'm saying like what in that was he in the place when somebody came in or was he? No, no, I think he came home. Oh, okay, okay. Like somebody knew what they were doing, and um, and they what he lost was an entire book he had written on ear training and perfect pitch that was about to come out, and he hadn't sent the full version. Like they think they only had like one or two chapters. The editor. And he had finished everything and he lost. So what they took of Sean's was all his hard drives. They took all his, all his data, like everything, all this music he had, like albums of. That's some Philip Philip K. Dick shit right there. Yeah. (laughs) Everything, man. Wow. And he, so he came out to cut the album broken. He was just at the end of his he felt so fucking sad and broken because all of his work was gone. Like there was no clouds. 
then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The cloud no backups. Storage. Every fucking backup drive was in his apartment and it was all gone. So like he was, it was rough, man. And we were hoping, you know, we were in such good spirits, fucking psyched about this record. And Malone was just a broken man. Oh, man. And this is why we did the remix years later uh, because basically I did it for Sean because Sean never liked his bass tracks. He, it had the imprint of that memory of him, that whole situation. Right. He always wanted to recut his bass. And I swear some of those bass lines on the remix are exactly of the album, but he just needed to play it again. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yep. To set that, that tone again. Have the, and his intent and his perspective. Yeah. His and yeah. yeah. And it was, so it was like a bass loud mix thing too. I was like, fuck it. This is all for you, bro. Like, let's just fucking turn you up. Fucking whatever you need, man. Yeah. And that's why we also were just like, yeah, we'll take the growls out. Like we have the original version. We'll do this version and make it a little bit different, you know? And, but it was really for Malone for his mind because he, he was so like, he just had such a scar from that, that session, you know? Yeah. Um, from the, that time of, in his life. And I don't know that he ever fully recovered even from that. You know, I think that yeah. was the beginning of, there was other things obviously, but that was the beginning of, of a, a really deeper, dark period in his psyche that he never quite left. Well, you think about what it takes to have a, not only write a book, but a, a write a book on something that complex and, yeah. and how perfect pitch, but how to, yeah how to make yourself develop perfect pitch and then to lose that that definitely can break somebody dude or at least crack them substantially yeah and he was so meticulous he was the kind of person that everything he did was with such attention to detail and so much love like there was nothing half-hearted in malone's universe everything was just given absolute attention and high level of genius kind of love and detail that, so he lost like records of music and work and things, jobs that he had done and like probably orchestral works and mm. all these weird arrangements and things. Cause he was this hyper prolific person right. that, but no one knew it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Blue below yeah. the radar. He hated advertising himself. He hated promoting himself. He was so anti, um, anti kind of public. But he, he did love to archive himself. And yeah, that's what was extreme. taken from him was that archive that he had been building in the, you know, yeah, in his own individual space where no, you know, but it was still something for him. And that's like really where I say it multiple times on this show. That's like, what an art what being an artist is is you're making it it is an ego thing in a sense that you are making it for yourself first you know so him having this compiled work as an artist um for it to be taken from yes that that becomes part of your identity you know exactly oh yeah it feels like the truest part of you it feels Mm -hmm. like you know and, and yeah, so to have all of that just annihilated, man, you know, and taken away and gone, it was, it, it's like ripping out a piece of your soul or something. You know? Totally. So, okay. 
you that that was the reason why you remixed Trace and Air. But so, um, tell us a little bit about like the aftermath of or finally getting Trace and Air together. The aftermath of it, I I had caught you um, a few times after you guys went out after that out that record was already out. Let's hear a little bit of that real quick. Yeah, I mean, we did a lot of touring for Trace and Air, and the first real tour was awesome. It was with Opeth. And yeah. uh, Michael was a huge Cynic fan. And he fucking, I remember, like, I can't remember if I reached out to him or he reached out to us. I think I may have reached out to him and said, hey, you know, we'd love to tour with you guys. And he's like, we'd love to have you, man. You know, and he was so psyched, you know. He was a real fan. I think he still is. Right. So it was like, and we were just like, okay, this is a good, I didn't realize how big Opeth were, you know, I was like, I was so kind of removed from the scene. And um, so here we were, you know, touring with them and it was like, they're playing, you know, three to 5,000 seat rooms, you know, it was like legit in Europe, man. Like they're, they're big, you know, um, mm -hmm. or at least medium big, you know, in terms of this scene. Was that Ghost Reveries? What album was out when you were touring? Yeah, I think it was Ghost Reveries. Does that make sense? 2007, 2008? Uh, is that right, Joel? Where you I at, I think it Joel? might be... I don't know. Actually, I got into I got into Cynic through Ghost Reveries. So I was a late bloomer with Cynic, but then fell in love with them. You, you mean know, uh, Opeth? Yeah, Opeth, I'm trying but... to think what record was it? Oh, is Opeth. it Watershed? Watershed. That makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. That's a sick yeah, yeah. record, though, too. I love that one. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, but that was amazing because the audiences were killer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was just like, and it was really, we were being exposed to new people. And prog then, people, like progressive people, like prog nerds, yeah, too. Like, yeah. Like and then, exactly. It was like, you don't have to explain or prove yourself. And this yeah. was the thing that we started to realize was that the scene had grown and yeah. there was like viable sub genres with real audiences and it was really open-minded and it was not like that in the atheist cynic early right. days. It, it was, it was, it was the environment that you wish you had at that early oh, time. Yeah. yeah. We would have had, we would still be here and, you know? But it's you, it's it's guys like the cynic guys and the atheist guys that that helped plant. We've been talking about seeds, but planting seeds for them to grow. Yeah, where a decade later it finally is ready. It's it's yeah. You gotta, yes. you know? I know because atheists split up by elements, right? What year mm -hmm. was that? 93? Nine, yeah, 93, 94. Yeah, like that. you'd see that. Was so, yeah, Atheist is always another one that I'm like, man, you, yeah, you guys man. were pushing the envelope hard, hard. Oh, dude. And I mean, and we were just being ourselves, you know what I mean? But we definitely were like, we knew we were outside. And it shows. It definitely shows. we didn't fit in anywhere. And it was fucking, man, it was rough, man. And so, so, now you, so now in this in this new environment, it's oh my god, we're just like wow! Yeah. And I was like all these mm -hmm. baby prog bands and fucking. It was like, and the audiences were young. It was like, do you know what I mean? We felt like we were the youngsters in this like tired scene with like really closed-minded extreme music, and it was 
And it was like, fuck, like, where's the edgy fucking outsider people like us? And we found them once in a while. There was a few guys in Berkeley and in certain mm-hmm. cities that were just like, yeah, you know, but, <laughs> but not much, very narrow. But now it's like, bam, the scene blew up. There's fucking, you can go to shows and it's packed and it's like a full on legit prog nerd psychedelic fucking hybrid scene a lot of it's your fault paul awesome. i'm just letting you know yeah. you're the reason that why should that should be awesome yeah. you know like oh, for you're sure, the start man. of that you're the yeah. seed of that like that's like i mean I unfortunately think... you had to be the seed because i'd rather see you guys just be on top and and playing all the you know like being like the the bands that are reaping the benefits from the seed but um man you've influenced so many bands like i mean opeth you could tell there's a lot of parts in there there's a lot of parts in all the bands nowadays you can just here like oh that's a the i was talking to uh greg from a legion it's like the the double picking that that's like like you know that's like a paul masvidal like trademark in in metal now like with right. faceless and all these bands like you hear that it's just like that's that's cynic oh it's cynic the cynic part over there yeah that's uh, the cynic part yeah it's like it's literally like where it came from you know what i mean yeah well it's funny you're reminding me of uh a, a old friend of ours troy who um he actually played bass with, you know, spoke for a minute, but he's a drummer. He took us, me and Sean, to a Dillinger Escape Plan show back in the day. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. here comes the cynic part. <laughs> uh, the cynic part. And it was like, but they were, and, and they admitted it. Chris Penny was a huge cynic head. And so we met them all and stuff. And now, you know, like I've known them since and, um, and anyways, it was. But one then of you can, that that just shows you again. You get to see your imprint on so many different styles of music now. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's what it is, and it spawns all these like little sub genres, right? Like because I even say things like I think about, and it's funny. It's like a, an internal thing in my mind. But like for example, Meshuga, you know, responsible for Gent, right? Like, mm-hmm. but there was other bands doing Genty things before Meshuga. Right. And like, even I'll give you an example, like there's a, uh, in Vale of Maya, you know, there's this riff, um, you know, digga, 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 you know, it's like an over the bar liney kind of thing that happens and it's very genty <laughs> and i thought man you could build an entire sound from that riff you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And i know Meshuggah were big cynic heads and i'm like they fucking they got their gent seed from cynic you know <laughs> and i make jokes about that but but it's interesting Meshuggah, like their their trajectory which is so interesting is they sounded like metallica you know what i mean that first oh, in the time. beginning yep yeah it was like and they, but they, you hear their sound get forged over the course of records. And I guess it was, was it Nothing Face that was the real beginning of the gen? No, nothing. Nothing. Was yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Nothing Face is Voivod. It was a, it was a yeah. new metal band or a new metal band too that I watched with Pantera in like 2001. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It has nothing <laughs> to do with anything we're talking about right now. Sound. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, wow, so. Like the thing with Cynic is that we, the beginning of our sound was all there with the first record, thankfully. Like, Focus was a realized vision to where even to this day, I can hear things in Focus that are in the most recent record. Like, it's like 
we kept a, we brought, had a really broad palette, you know? That's mm -hmm. one thing that I definitely did want to bring up was that um, one thing that I love about you as well as, you know, a few other bands or artists in general that I, I am deeply in love with is you constantly throughout Cynic's discography have every rec record is different but you've never kept never lost the anchor to that that cynic vibe that you guys have already had since the beginning you know yeah it's always in there like even with like having my moments with ascension codes this week i'm like they never let go of of the one true core of this band but there's so much expansion that has happened yep. throughout the discography that you can really pinpoint and actually, you know, I can get deeper into what I, my ideas of what, what you guys were thinking or you specifically were thinking during times of making like carbon base anatomy. I'm like, this is where his feet are on the ground. He is more human. He's talking about his human self at this point. And I, I mean, with carbon based anatomy, that's kind of, yeah. Um, obvious with the name but you really listen to the lyrics and and it does sound more earthly and and the music does sound more earthly and then ascension codes is like psychedelic futuristic fucking space travel dude <laughs> yeah 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 no i appreciate you like um saying that because i remember having that conversation with malone at one point where we were like you know aren't we lucky that we have there's a signature there that we can reference, but it doesn't keep us in a box. You know, yeah. that we, we can break out of it constantly, but you'll, there's always this thing that we know is part of the sound and you can't really put your finger on it. I mean, you can say that type of riffing or that vocal thing or something, but it's, I think it's even beyond us. You know what I mean? It's almost cause you're just like showing up for something and, being used for some sound and it becomes part of this bigger imprint and you don't take credit for it anymore. It just becomes part of the fabric of the DNA of this sound. And it's not us. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I'm like, it's not even personal. Like, right. It's almost like has nothing. To, it's weird. It's so personal and yet so impersonal. And that's the, the mysterious thing about music, man, is that you don't, it's so such an unusual and beautiful and weird thing that we're doing here, you know. Like, well, it's ideas in general too, just catching them. Like uh, Justin McKinney, shout out to Justin. He, I caught him earlier talking about how we're all antennas, dude. We really oh. are an antenna to the universe, and 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 just like catching your synchronicities, you put yourself on a wavelength to where your antenna is able to maybe accept more ideas at certain times than others. And how many ideas are you going to keep in your uh, satchel after you came back from fishing in the river, you know, like, oh, man. and then how are they going to grow? How are you going to make them grow? Can they grow? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. That's, that's every, I mean, for me, that's like every record. It's like, there's a satchel with hundreds of ideas and you're just like pulling out that little fucking weird flower and that weed and that rock. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, this looks cool. Fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? And some shit just kind of comes together and, but you have like, there's always this body of, or this pool of shit that's being 
or a huge satchel of stuff that I'm digging through. And then whatever stands out at whatever period of time kind of ends up making a record. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. even the songs, I was blowing my mind digging up the Eon stuff. I actually like found the, a lot of the roots of a lot of cynic stuff. And I found in the trajectory of all this, like I took probably, you know, what started at like 60, 70 tunes, got it down to about 25. And I saw the trajectory of the birth of Eon to the birth, the rebirth of Cynic and how all the songs led us back to Cynic. Yeah, dude. And there's this last Eon song that was the last one we did. I swear it could be a Cynic song. It's, wow. It's trippy how it got into that space again and but wasn't quite there and then it shifted you know what i mean but it's What's, like it's a yeah it's a, an attractor dude it yeah if you take it back to mckenna dude it's the great oh, attractor that yeah. took you guys back there totally man that's rad dude so okay trace and Actually, there was I, I, I had a question oh. though with uh with your focus remaster i know you're doing it right now and you're right in the middle of it right now like what what are you trying to like is there certain things that you wish i mean obviously it was done so long ago so obviously you yeah. had time to listen to it and really break it down into its core but like are there certain tones and volumes oh, yeah. and stuff that you're really focusing on mainly with this rem or the re remix remaster thing it's yeah so it's remixing from the ground floor like That's literally awesome. every file has been revisited and reprocessed and it's not to the point where you think, oh, it's going to be more polished or more slick. It's actually getting more real. Like we're taking the guts of the record and trying to get the frequency range more like there's just there was a 90 sound. And I love that sound. It has this thinness and it's part of those records. But we're bringing in this body, man, with the low end and the drums sound fatter everything's just sitting stacked better and there's just better separation, but everything's also more in your face. So it just sounds more direct and, and somewhat like more brutal. It's like heavier. It's like heavier and more in your face and more direct, but like more balanced as a mix. Like it's just everything's sitting perfectly the low end and the guitars. I always, I never loved my guitar sound on focus. I, I was like, we got it as good as we could with the technology. We were using these things called ADA MP1s. We were like rack mount processors. But, and I had a rack mount EQ and all this shit. But I just, it always felt too fuzzy in the way that I didn't want it to. Because Cynic always would do, you know, we've always done big chords, like six note chords across yeah. all the strings. So you're doing these big fat chords with distortion. And to get that clarity along all the strings is hard. And yep. now I feel like with modern distortion sounds, there's just, they got it down. I mean, there's just all these algorithms and detail with the plugins. That you can Did do. you guys capture, you didn't capture the actual clean. No DI. Sound, right. No DI's. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you yeah. could reamp it and do that. Yeah. So but could you, I mean, nowadays you could reamp, like if you had the DI back and like yeah. the focus days, you could take it and reamp it and do whatever you want with it. Thing. But yeah, we yeah. basically did our hybrid version of reamping the existing recorded sound. Most of the cars on that record were recorded with the effects and everything. We you used Roland, like a Roland's, yeah, like the Roland processor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all yeah. the synthy sounds was Roland. I used a, a, a synth module called the Yamaha TX81Z, 
which okay. is just this trippy old school synth module that I use for guitar. And that's how those weird portamento sounds and I'm but a wave to, you know, that kind of bending sound. And, and we were using trans trem tremolos on our Steinbergers so we could bend full chords like in key. Do what I mean? You could oh, bend wow. up. Oh, shit, okay. It's like trippy because you could just create these wavy fucking. Is that not a thing anymore? It's yeah. not. A, it's not a doable thing unless you have a, 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 a trans trem setup, which are people. I still have an old Steinberger, but no, they're. I mean, it's not like no. Once you start bending strings with a tremolo, the two the strings bend at different rates. Differently, so, yeah. So it goes out of tune differently. But mm-hmm. that was the whole thing with trans trem is you can literally change the tuning of your guitar and bend bend in full like in key shit it's insane how no ned steinberger was a genius man he was just, that's insane that that, that, that kind of went away because like you know with all the technology with know. like new you know the yeah. bridges like that stay in tune the i can't think of the name right now but the bridges oh, are like the ever ever tunes i bet stuff. i bet that shit does it i'm sure there's people like that figured that out now but what it was trip. a big deal then and it was a unique sound and we were like really utilizing it because it was so trippy sounding and with your influence obviously musically and stuff like that we've gone over that a lot but can we like just give cynic like the reason why everyone has a headless guitar now can we can we just like that's like where it started with cynic cynic was like made that cool with the stein steinberger was it the original one yeah yep that was like the original one and then it went i have a right here I, I got one that kind of gets here right here. You can say that's all in the dark. Oh, right I see, yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. yeah, it's, it's, uh, I almost bought yours, uh, the Masvidalian model. I was like, oh, should I just fucking fork over and just do it? And, <laughs> and, and it's funny because I got that, like, off Craigslist for a guy that, like, it's, it was 1600 bucks. Um, it's a Strandberg? Like, uh, a Strandberg. Jesus. I, oh, so, nice. I wanted to say Strandberger a bunch. Yeah. But it was a Strandberg. It's just like one of the more basic models, and I got it for like 800 bucks. So I was like, First thing, I just came home and was like, "All right, I'm learning space for this." <laughs> like, like I have to. I just, it's like I can only play Cynic on it. Like I can only, because <laughs> like, right. I remember standing behind you at um, at uh in Oakland. You guys played. Um, remember you, there was a venue change. We had Max on recently, and there was like a oh, venue yeah. change from Warfield or something yeah. over to, to, to the Metro. Yeah. And um, I got this sweet spot like right next to you, and I just got to see your the neck of your guitar. Like I was telling all my friends about. It. I'm like, dude, it's like. It's like diagonal. It's like right. it's like following the thumb. I'm like it must be his like design. I don't. I was like you know coming up with all my and like <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know it was like the the, the typical thing that that he does. Uh, yeah, uh, that luthier. Uh, That's all his Yeah, it's the endurneck. Endurneck. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. It's, it looks super. It looks insanely uncomfortable. It looks like a block of wood. You know, no. and it's but then so you comfortable. Play it, it's like so easy and yeah. And do you find yourself like with your thumb on it? Because this is actually a nerdy question. But um, like, cause it looks like it's supposed to follow your thumb down, right? When you're going That's higher, fair. so like, I find myself um using it as different kind of crutches. Like I'll hold, like yeah. I'll like hold certain spots for certain chords, and then I'll okay. be in the middle for certain chords, and then I'll push yeah. on the bottom of it for certain chords. But I won't be so in the middle the whole time. Is the one you have? Cause you know those necks have evolved a lot. Like the newer ones, he softened that curve a lot. Yeah, they're really mellow now. You know what I mean? It's like. The early Endurnex, which I really liked, it was pretty pronounced. You know, it was like almost a hard fucking cut. Yeah. The newer ones now, it's gotten pretty gentle, man. It's like it's still doing that, but it's way more mellow. But yeah, I 
I love it, man. I just think it's like the fact that he pulled that off, that he re- rewrote the, the net code, you know, <laughs> that's been around forever of the concave, traditional concave thing. And I remember Ibanez was doing things with more flat stuff, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like wizard necks and stuff. Yeah, like that. really yeah. thin. But I mean, you got to give it to Ola, man. He fucking took a big risk and it worked. And it's like, and the thing I I give to him really is that one of his, the, the best things about him as a luthier is he goes to all of us and he says, what needs updating? What needs changes? And this like is no how, ego. Yeah. And we no ego, man. And we all just like throw back feedback. This could be this. We could do this. Let's change this fucking. And he fucking makes notes and just implements and, He's constantly getting out of his own way to make the best instrument possible. I mean, he's a real badass luthier man, and um, and a real artist mind in that sense. He's just like very forward thinking. I feel like he picked up where, you know, old, like where Ned left off because Ned left really making guitars. He sold Steinberger to Gibson, and they kind of just right. fell away. And I, I would mix them up because of Strandberg and Steinberg. I know, so I like yeah. totally would mix them up. Yeah. yeah. It's Steinberger and Steinberg. But yeah, no, it's interesting the, 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 the similarity. And I know that Ola studied Stein, Ned's stuff. Like he studied all those guys. He, he geeked out on that shit and was like, I need to know what they're doing. And, and he really understood everything. And, and now he's pushing the envelope further, man. He's trying to go into like, renewable materials, you know, cause the guitar industry's decimated, like for example, rosewood and shit and mm-hmm. kind of fucked up some tree populations, you know? And yeah, oh shit. so they're like starting that night and we've had talks about it. It was like, yeah, he really wants to keep going and just carbon fiber, like doing all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. He looked really into that. We had a long talk about that cause I have a carbon fiber acoustic and he uses those reinforcements in the next, but the, Apparently, the carbon fiber thing, it's still very expensive and difficult to make the mold and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a pain in the fucking ass. And Are they a lot lighter compared to regular oh, yeah. guitars? Yeah. yeah, they're lighter and they're just impervious to the elements, man. Like, yeah. And you can literally... The, no the, warping, no nothing. Yeah. And you can leave it on the beach or in the... You don't snow. need to have a humidifier in your case. No, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> So Paul, I actually have an idea that you could you can you can shoot to him because we were talking about that uh, that old bridge that could bend chords perfectly. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't I'll know. tell you. I mean, the bridge <laughs> science—that's a fucking especially with headless guitars. The new NX that's coming out because we've got a new one coming out soon of the of the Masvidalian. It's like they're do they've done this updated bridge thing, like the saddles one piece and and the. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, I realized that bridge science with those headless guitars is fucking really complicated and never ending. Like you never, it's like, you'll never get it down. It's like an ongoing situation, you know? Yeah. It's insane. But it's, it's gotten really good. And the thing with those guitars is that once you get the basics of learning how to set it up and kind of intonate and it's actually really simple. It's like not intimidating, you know, like a lot of guitars are fucking like you think it's crazy and complex, but you just get in there a little and it's like, Oh, okay. This is, Oh, it's fucking totally easy, man. Like, yeah, yeah. There's slight variations on technique. You can get through it. 
Yeah. So get a little ruler mm-hmm. out. Get the oh, oh shit, it's got to be this this high, this way, <laughs> yeah, and this yeah. long, this way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually, uh, Paul, mm-hmm. I had a, a trippy Just, uh, thing. Mm-hmm. I've brought it up a couple times, but there was a there was a, this one guy that did this like uh, study on. Um, he was like, does does wood really matter in electric guitar? Was his was right. his thesis or whatever? And um, it's on YouTube somewhere. But um, he literally goes to like all the, the with the electronics and he tries all the different tone woods and he's like he basically blindfolds you he's like can you tell and then he finally at the very end his last one is two tables it's a table that's 25 and a half inches from another you know what i mean like it's like a table that's like from the bridge or whatever and with no wood in between just zero wood and only the electronics and he strums it and i'm like what the fuck am i like buying into all this stuff it sounds so i I know it blew my mind i was like wow i gotta check that out i feel like i lost something about that recently but Yo, I remember a dude in LA was making guitars out of like metal, like steel. Mm-hmm. They were heavy as fuck, but they were like sick looking, fucking bad. Yeah. And they sounded so good. And it was like, wait, what's this wood thing all about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, really, you know what I mean? Seriously? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but even the one thing Ola figured out, all those Strandbergs, the whole one of the things with the design is they're chambered. So they're mm. hollowed out a super lot of the light. insides. They're super light. And and what he said is like, yeah, the misnomer that this like Les Paul that's fucking 12 pounds is super resonant because of this heavy wood is like it's it's actually not true. The sound molecules don't have as much room to bounce around. Um, oh, OK. Like there's a it gives it more space for the, the sound to kind of dance in the in the chamber. And yeah, that's why there's they have so much sustain and shit. And I was like, holy shit! <laughs> and light too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're super light, and they have body. Like they can sound really warm and like fat. You know, it's like it's pretty uh, interesting. You know, it's a there's a lot of it's a lot of science with that stuff. You know, there is. You know, even with acoustic guitars, because I remember uh, in 2011 I worked for Guitar Center during like the whatever 2010 or whatever during the depression yeah. or whatever um went to guitar center and i walked into the acoustic room like i don't they all sound the same and like and then i had a taylor rep come in and show me and i was like what the fuck like the ta- like how taylor like had their like bracing or whatever and i i st- did one strum and i was like oh shit okay yeah well, you got me i felt it in my body it was projecting loud highs lows everything was in there it was yeah. like Oh shit! This is not the fucking Yamaha in my friend's room anymore. This is like right. an actual. I actually went shopping. I was like, I'm gonna spend two thousand dollars on a fucking Taylor this weekend. <laughs> I, I went there and they were all locked up, and there was like a million people there. So I was like, okay, thank God, there's a million people because I was gonna fucking buy one. But uh, yeah, just feeling that actual difference from you know like an Ibanez, you know, like a acoustic to like an actual the bracing and everything done like perfectly. Yeah, it just screamed. It was insane. Yeah. I remember like. Okay, I'll shut up. Like you're right. Yeah. No, there is something about those guitars. I, I have an old Martin, not that old, but pretty old. And I remember when I went to get it, I want to say, who was working? I knew somebody that was working at Guitar Center, and I went into the room, and he was letting me take out different Martins of the same model, like, mm-hmm. and I would bring it back to my buddy's studio. We'd mic it up, and fucking hear it through these sick monitors. And, and I got to try like eight different Martins out of the same model and they all sounded slightly different. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got, it was like, this is the one. And I picked this one that had the sound I wanted, which was this kind of boxier, duller, warm sound. 
And that ended up being the acoustic guitar I used on all the Eon Spoke stuff, you know? But it's like, it's interesting, even like the same model, because I had a bunch of Mexican strats when I was doing session work, and they mm -hmm. would sound night and day, one from the next. You'd get once in a while a Mexican strat that sounded so sick, like the fucking legendary sounding one, and it was fucking like 300 bucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I also think there's like, our DNA and our body at work with these instruments. And mm, I agree. You know I mean? And the, your vibrational field is interacting with this like thing. And it's I like, can jump on board with that for sure, dude. You know what I mean? And it's like, you can, and I had a guitar teacher, dude, not far from right where I'm at, right where we are right now on Miami beach, who I remember as a kid, he taught me a great lesson. He was this shredder dude. And I thought I was, you know, I was coming back from camp thinking I could fucking rip and shit. And he was like, oh, you fucking rip, you know? And he hands me the acoustic guitar with the action up to here, like, oh, fuck. In my <laughs> 13s, you know, and my little hand. It's like a slide guitar. <laughs> it was just like, not nah, friendly. Torture, and dude. Yeah. Get on that, dude. And I was like, oh, fucking, I was like, completely melted. And he grabs it and starts shredding on it. Oh. And he goes, it's your body, bro. It's not the guitar, yeah, man. That's true. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And by the time I finished those lessons with him, I could play on that fucking high action acoustic. And I was like, he's like, you got to dig for those notes. You got to fucking play the guitar. And it was like, holy shit. Fucking. I mean, you've mentioned that, Joel, where it's like, it, no matter how much you spend on equipment, it. Yeah. It's in the, on the person. The person is in the fingers. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not much of an acoustic player, but um, we're about to record uh, some acoustic stuff. So, uh, speaking of, I have a Taylor, a Taylor right here. Ooh. Oh, nice. But uh, that I've been just working on. I haven't played acoustic since I was a you know, young and playing like fucking Wish You Were Here or whatever. So, like, um, I can play I've that just, song. I, I know you can. <laughs> but uh, I've. <laughs> Are I've you literally... all guitar players, by the way? I'm uh, a vocalist only, dude. But uh, I like to, Yeah, I can jam out on an acoustic. Yeah, and I can I play it there. Casey does a Casey nice four-four beat on the drums too, you know. But yeah, I'm but just like I'm like a guys. nice, comfortable like. Oh, the action's great on this, and I can do thing. You know what I mean? Like, and it's really cool to like get an acoustic because all of a sudden, like, I just noticed my playing elevated immediately. I was like, because the you have to press a little harder, oh, you have yeah. to make sure your fucking fingers are correct for the like you're gonna hit like dead notes on the tone, uh, like like the six the six note fucking chords you're your gonna mistakes fucking hit dead will be notes, heard you know you, yeah you yeah. really have to fucking arch your fingers make sure that you're oh. fucking hitting the tips of your fingers and yeah, yeah that's like really like oh. i mean, yeah. like i just started because i was like you know i'm just gonna learn on fingers nothing else matters to start you know like just to just like learn all that and i was like i played that then played the songs i was working on i played the songs i was working on 10 times better just after learning like some silly little like stretchy like finger picking things you know it's yeah. like because i don't finger pick ever and I, i'm like it's like one thing that i've always wanted to get into and i'm like i'm gonna fucking this is like kind of like a a 2022 2023 like thing i'm gonna look fucking finger pick by the end you know end of 20 you. are you working on it yeah definitely i mean as of a week ago but i'm like way <laughs> into it though I'm way, but I'm, hey, I'm way into it though i'm like I actually like somewhere, dude. Yeah, when dude. you hit those parts i mean i took a classical guitar class in college and you know it was i had to perform but then once that was done, it was just done. I just put it away and yeah. I had an amazing, you know, what uh, something trained classical person. What's the Suzuki chain? Uh, one of my best friends is she's Suzuki trained and like just would 
show me all the songs and stuff and I would just learn them and go perform them and and then I was like, all right, I'm done with the class. I got an A. Cool. I'll put the guitar away, sell it because I was broke at the time. And then it just like moved on to, you know, this exchange of equipment, have guitar players go through like uh, the buy and sell. I got a green one now and I got a red, you know, it's like, like before you know, like it's, it's, you're jumping through every fucking hoop trying to find like your, your gear and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. I wish I stuck with that. Yeah. Yeah. Finding your gear and, and instruments that you resonate with too. I mean, that's, it takes time. You know, it's like, and then it gets to the point, like for me, it's where I was like, oh, wait, I can play anything, you know, like I'm just using these instruments as vehicles, but I have found like, you know, an instrument like, like a Strandberg, especially having my own guitar. It's like, it's definitely, it makes it easier for me to, it just like gives birth to ideas because it's so perfectly feels so like organically right you know it's like yeah yeah like i'm not fighting it although what's funny is that i just did this playthrough that's going to come out with an ascension code song um for the new guitar and i practiced on an acoustic for for it for most of it like i literally was playing an acoustic with like 12s just mm-hmm. trying to like get my fingers as strong Finger as possible. Yeah. So that when I switch to that guitar, it's just like, bam. Fuck That's me. the move, dude. I'm just figuring yeah. out like this week, like going to a, like acoustic or I'm sorry, electric now. I'm like, Oh, this is super easy. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not super easy, but it's like my fingers like have the strength now to like hit. Everything. It's like swimming with weights on your ankles. Exactly. And yeah. exactly. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's the move. Right. I think a lot of guitar right. players need to do. I, I love the gear talk. I You guys are speaking a foreign language right now. So I'm definitely, I'm going to say, I have a question, which is explain to me the the um, the meaning behind Kindly Bent to Free Us, that that album title. Well, there's, um, there's a series of books in really advanced Buddhist practice. They're, they're from these, this trilogy called the i think it's connected to the diamond sutras which is um um basically mahayana buddhist path and there is a book that i had read and is in like a bible book to me it's one of three books and it's called kindly bent to ease us and i just that title at the time between what was going on with that record, the lyrics, and that book, I I think it just all kind of, and then I realized, like, it just kind of, and then it was like, oh, wait, but that title, and then I shifted it to Free Us, and, you know, I don't, it's like, I think about all the lyrics on the record, and I think about this idea, right, so I think the metaphor with Kindly Bent It, free us or even ease us is and with that view is that everything that comes your way in your life and that includes the most difficult experiences are there to free you and not enslave you so mm-hmm. including all the pain and suffering like all the hardship all the struggles all the difficulty grief the everything. loss yes it's, it's there to free you and it's th- this is why they call suffering the fir- is the first grace you know it's like that it's like it's the opportunity to see you know that you get an opportunity to see 
where you're holding back, where you're actually arguing with reality. Because when you argue, you don't win, right? Yep. So, but it's this fight against how things are, not willing to accept things as they are, thinking things should be different than what they are that create our prisons because we start thinking that things should be different and, and rather than meeting reality as it is. And just, so this idea of kindly bent to free us, like this whole experience of being alive is to just bring freedom is to, to bring ease to our lives, to eliminate this hardship. You know, um, I think that's kind of the root of it. And I, I, the lyrics get into a lot of crazy stuff. I think yeah, about yes, they do. Yeah, there's, um, I I remember. I mean, because I was starting to go deeper back into the ET stuff too. Then as well with you know a lot of the the theories of our Anunnaki heritage and all this stuff. And so oh, there's yeah. some of that kind of in the roots of those lyrics. You know, I read the Twelfth Planet. Oh yeah, it Zechariah Sitchin. Yes, that was oh, uh, nice. Definitely uh, a thing that opened my mind to the Anunnaki. Shout out Matty Way, who turned me on to yeah. that. Dude, Zachariah was like, yeah, that's the really the beginning of all that shit for sure, man. Yeah. I mean, it goes way more beyond that, but Zachariah kind of brought it into the into the collective, like unconscious, like totally like, in the mainstream. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it, it is like uh, just a variation on a story that's been told for so long, dude. You yeah. know, it's just been manipulated. It's the game of telephone through thousands and thousands of years, you know? Yeah, dude. And we keep finding new things out. You know, it's like, I don't know if you're hip to like Graham Hancock and stuff. but Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, he's just like, you know, it's like. They, With the pyramids and stuff. The pyramids and he just talks about like. You know, um, just there's the the younger driest period. I don't know if you know about this, but it's like just that the fact that the earth is way more ancient than we think. And we Mm -hmm. realize it's been here thousands and thousands of years and goes way, way back. And that the history of our species is way more ancient than we realize. And it's um, it's just like. The marks on the on the uh, Sphinx is mainly what he's talking about at that time. That that show evidence of that t- that area being ancient, you know, tropical, and and a rainforest. Like, but it, if that were possible, then it would have to be way more older than everybody's talking about. But there's no denying that there's these like fissures that are on the surface of the Sphinx that show water erosion. Right. You know, from yeah. long, long time ago. And and Randall Carlson, he yeah, dude, I love all this stuff. We that's another yeah. like deep that's a hole. Whole whole. <laughs> and it's no, but it's so deep and it's so fascinating because it just keeps blowing the lid on like what we think our story is, right? It's like right. just when we think we got it, it's like it's way you're just suddenly turning right and left. And it seems like we're finally because people like, you know, um Graham and and others like him who are like outsider archaeologists like they're like basically been shunned by that traditional community because they're not following the traditional but those it's like they're still in like the dark ages it's like Graham's like pushing the envelope man 
and he'll he's he's like a Terrence in a sense, but in that world, you know what I mean? He's yeah, like, and and it is like messing with the egos of the norm yeah. in those little disrupting the the status quo. Exactly. Like this is wait wait we've been coasting on this being our theory for this long. Now you're going to, you're going to throw a speed bump on us. No, dude, fuck your speed bump, get out of here. Yeah. But it's like, wait, no, but look, <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's going to take a while. You know, it's going to take a while. Yeah. That's how it always is though. It always is, yeah. You know, and, and, uh, but I, I it, it's like, you kind of feel like you're alive during a time where it's starting to, you know, expand and open up and, you know, woke, everybody's waking up, you know, like, Oh, but it's true. There is a, like a lot of fucking, it blows my mind actually. When I, like, I have to say, I mean, that the Instagram algorithms got me down because fucking when I, when I doom scroll, it's the raddest shit ever. It's like, fucking, <laughs> it's like so easy to get lost in these sick wormholes of the fucking coolest information i'm just like and then i next thing you know i want to buy some weird alien fucking t-shirt or something you know <laughs> i'm like what's wrong with this <laughs> but at the same time it's the worst thing ever you know what i mean but because it, right. it's like I, I sit there and i think wait no i should be like doing something playing guitar or like being creative or, <laughs> yeah i like, know like, well that's that's really? the resistance that that i mean if we're going to talk more books uh steven press feels the the war of art that's yeah, one of my that's one yeah. of my bibles you know that yeah. it's in my bag all the time is just something to flip through and really focus on yes we are humans that love to create you know and and but the 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 back and forth thing is we've re and i just mentioned this recently on a podcast you have a vision here's a point b I want to be at point B right away, but the journey to get to point B is what you're really going through. And, and I totally just lost where I was going. Why did I just, why did I just, why did I just bring this up? No, you were saying it's like this, the idea of that book, how it's like procrastination. Yeah. So, so yeah, resistance. That's the thing too. It, there's a part of ourselves that will always get in the way of us getting to right. doing the journey and and you know it's you can attribute it to anything there's going to the gym you wake up your alarm goes off to go to the gym or go for a run or something like that your mind immediately is like well uh, making excuses like you know uh, yeah. I, yep. I didn't sleep as much as i wanted to last night you know yeah. And, and, and so, but that's the resistance that you have to fight as an artist in order to yeah, yeah. work on your craft and, and get to that point B that I'm talking about. Dude, it's, it's, it is a, it's like, you have to push through it, you know, and pushing through it will take all of your energy, yes. all of your resources, and maybe put you in a very uncomfortable place, but that's probably the right place to be to make the right stuff. And if you're too cozy and stuff, like it, it's almost like the art will lose its luster. It'll get, you know, it's like, this is why, you know, like, for example, I've been, I have a friend I'm working with on a project and she ended up just like moving into my apartment and she's been staying there for now. It's like, we're at 10 months. And, um, 
she's gone right now and I'm going to go back for a, a minute, but I've been kind of, I pushed myself out after I finished Ascension Codes just to be in a free flowing, unknown, kind of out of any comfort zone state. And I've been living this way for probably years, but next level now where I don't even have a real home. And so how long have you been in Florida right now? Months with no home. Wow. And I, I'm going back to my pad because she's gone. She's coming back though. And I'm just going to like give it to her again for a while. Cause she's doing some work in town for a while. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to keep floating. And, and I have my little portable studio and it's just keeping me on my toes. It's keeping me in a place of hyper creative kind of where I'm just not able to settle into anything comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's keeping me right on that edge. And I just know what I need. You know what I mean? Right. I, I need to go back to the cocoon in a bit. And I will listen to that. But I think for me, this is part partially in reaction to the events of 2020, which for everybody was fucked up in terms of the reality of how everything was just so collectively shot. Right. Also, I had my bookends of my two bros die, you know, my lifelong yeah. bandmates die at January, December of that year. And it just like, and I was locked in my apartment in LA, fucking the city was fucking hell. And I'm in the middle of it. It was just like, felt like complete fucking end of the world shit. You know? Yeah. Apo so, personal apocalypse for so sure. Apocalyptic. Yeah, man, dude. It felt like the world was just, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I had to like, I was mm. pushing through to finish this record and it took everything out of me. So I think like it was one of those things where it was just like, oh my God, fucking get me the fuck out of this place, man. You know, just like, Totally. I just need space and just not know where I am and what's going on. And so it's been a lot of that, but yeah. and I thought for a while, I just do a yeah. long meditation retreat. I was just like, I want to go do a year, just fucking sit for a year. So how long have you uh, mm -hmm. been practicing meditation? Oh, I started really probably seriously around focus era, you know, mm -hmm. like I was meditating on the death human tour Cause I remember just that tour, like those fucking shithole places. Some of those places we were playing that were just filthy and you go into a bathroom and it was just gnarly. It was just fucking shit everywhere. And right. Just, right. Like, punk clubs that like take pride in being disgusting. Right. Know? Yeah. And, but me finding some weird fucking stall and like doing my meditation and shit and fucking then going out and playing with death and, I, and I remember I took pride in that guy was just like, you know, it became like a game to find a spot to meditate. That's cool. Like alleys and shit and stairwells and things like that. And, but I, and I, so I started then really seriously. And then I think it got really next level serious by like the mid nineties, you know, like post focus. Once I came to LA and got deep into the Buddhist practice, cause I was more into like Hindu stuff back then. Um, that's when I like, was like, I, I need, if I have time to eat, I have time to meditate. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And it became like a way of life, like brushing my teeth, you know, it's like, this is what you do. This is part of your day. And 
you know, it's like anything else. You can come up with all the excuses. And I had, you know, I've had so many arguments with my meditation bench. I can't even tell you in watching my mind go against the sitting practice, coming up with every fucking excuse to not yeah. do it. Again, the resistance we were just yeah, talking about. Yeah. Same thing, man. It's the same thing. So it's been a good thing for me to keep that stabilized because I've, it's helped actually me, it's helped everything in my life. You know, it's actually helped me move through the most difficult things and keep going. And it's, it's getting to know my mind, you know, it's getting to know how my mind works. It's, you're developing a relationship with yourself, which is when you finally understand how that mind works or the self works and you transcend that, you realize everybody's, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's the same. We're all dealing with the same stuff. And you, you lose this idea of like, you know what I mean? That's when the ego hopefully starts to dissolve and you start, yeah. there's no one here. Like this is, yeah. this is the aha moment in Zen practice when they give people a, a, a cone and they are doing that riddle and they fucking are saying it, you know, over and over or trying to like unlock the, the, the riddle and then they kind of unlock it and they burst out into laughter. It's like they see through, it's like the cosmic joke. You see through that you've been fucking hard on yourself, believing that you're something real and concrete and getting so caught up in this thing that is not, it's not solid. You know? Right, right. And psychedelics help us see that often uh, quicker. Um, but the thing with psychedelics, I will say, is that, you know, you still have to come back to this neurotic mind, right? And yeah. So you, you can't be tripping 24-7, although, I mean, I microdosed for years, you know, and on shrooms, acid to this day, you know, um, I'm still a pretty regular microdoser. Ayahuasca since the early 2000s. I can't count how many times I've done ayahuasca. Wow. Any of those psychedelics. I, you know, I ended up facilitating retreats and doing all that stuff. And I'm still actively involved in all that, that whole scene. But I have found that even with all those shortcuts and all those peaks into enlightened mind and non-dual awareness, I found, because I just went to Jamaica, you know, and did a fucking mushroom retreat. I was invited there by a group from L.A., and it was awesome because I basically was, you know, invited. I didn't have to spend any money. And I, they were like, they filmed everything and were just like studying us and shit. And, and then they were making some film and stuff. And, you know, I did, I ate 30 grams, you know. At one time or a total? Yeah, one night. Oh my God, dude. Yeah, I, of like a fucking album. I know, you know, super strong. And I, cause I was like, I'm going to fucking pierce the matrix. Fuck this. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude. like, you know, with, with ayahuasca and all that, once you've done so many strong psychedelics, but I will say this, man, I, you know, after eating that much, it was like, I literally became, I got to a sober state again. You went full like, circle, full circle where I was absolutely lucid and clear. Like I am right now. And, but fully tripping, but fully lucid. And yeah. it's like almost like a fourth state of awareness. Like I, you know, they, they say past, present, future. This is how I was describing it. It's like, 
It was beyond the past, the present, and the future. It's mm. like it's not even a now thing. It's some other thing. Right. And it was like, but fully fucking empathetic. And I was in this room with other journeyers and felt the vibe present, completely open, completely clear. It was like this beautiful, clear, cognizant awareness of just everything as is. But then I remember I came back to my room and they, they had these little handheld cams for us. And I fucking grabbed the camera after the end of the journey. And I said, I don't know if these work on me anymore. I don't know if I need them. I don't like I'm, am I on the other side of the fucking mushroom? You know what right, I mean? Right. Like, is it, is, do they, and, and I, I think the point was, because I don't think you're ever on the other side. You know, I talked to a friend about this a lot, how, in some ways, I think the mushrooms know more about you than you know about them. Like they actually do, they give you just what you need. And uh -huh. it doesn't matter dosage at that point. If you're a true psychonaut, it'll give you exactly what you need. And so it was just giving me what I needed in that situation. And it was perfect. And, but I also think that just going further on this is that like I have had long-term meditation retreats and not even long-term five-day retreats, seven-day, 10-day Vipassana, where I had similar experiences where I started to trip, you know, where I basically, you get into such, you got, once you get your mind stabilized and can concentrate, then, it, then you get to these, you can open these like doors, almost like portals that you go through, gates. And and uh, some some of the Buddhist teachings call them the, the jhanas, the states of awareness. Okay. And you can get to these states where literally you feel like you're tripping. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, one retreat in particular with the first teacher I took my vows with, um, Acharya Leon, a beautiful teacher from the Shambhala tradition. I remember asking her, I needed her help because I was like tripping balls and I was completely sober, but I went into this tripping and it, this shit's fully documented in all the Buddhist traditions and all those fucking, fucking crazy texts that are full volumes of texts. They, they break out the labyrinth of the mind and they, they break down all these states and they say that a lot of practitioners will get stuck in these states like you'll get because you just get so good at entering that trip mm -hmm. that you just fucking you know how to get there and you just go there and you fucking hang out in this right. blissful state of awareness but that's not that's not the end of the road you know what i mean yeah yeah beginninglessness and endless so it's like there is no destination and so but people will get cozy in these states of mind and that happens a lot in in in, in Buddhist practice, if you become a good, a good meditator, you get to like, you get to learn how to get into these stable states and you can hang out there. And it's, uh, some of them can be very much like a psychedelic experience. Like I was going to, I was, that was actually one of the questions I've been waiting to ask you is, um, have you ever had a blow or not necessarily blow out, but there could be a mild one too. Cause we haven't even talked about your yoga. Like I'll say that you're the only guy that, got me to do yoga at a metal show Whoa. so while you're doing yoga have you ever gotten gone deep into that state to where it 
the yoga has brought a psychedelic experience. Like you're saying Hatha yoga, like physical yoga? Yeah. Like the actual postures? Yeah, I mean, there's been... Because Hatha you know, yoga... Well, first of all, then you got to tell me the differences between yogas now. Yeah, well, there's like, you know, in yoga, there's eight limbs. Uh, the Patanjali, you know, like people called it the eight limbs of yoga. And there's these different paths. And, you know... Like Raja Yoga is the 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 royal path. It's like the the it's a certain path. It's like it's um, Bhakti Yoga is dead mm-hmm. is is, um, is considered uh, it's the, the path of devotion. Um, you know, Bach Bach. Uh, what's the other one? Um, Seva Yoga is like the path of service. Um, so there's all these like different paths. You know, Karma Yoga. He's like that have different practices and Hatha is the physical postures. It's the pop culture, you know, yoga that was now entered the West in a big way, which is cool, okay. but it's, you know, yoga studios everywhere. Or Kundalini. That's the one. There's that's Kundalini good. yoga, which is a yeah. breathing. It's all breath work. It's all pranayama and stuff. And so I've unlocked. Yeah. Even the day after that 30 gram dose, we did a Kundalini breath work thing based off of, um, What's his name? Fucking who's the who developed all the holotropic breathwork stuff? Um, yeah, you got me on that one. Um, what's that, Luna? Oh, I'm petting my friends. Luna. Oh, we got a, the moon. The moon is. Let me see if you can see her. You see her, Luna? Say hi to the camera. Look. Hey, Look. Luna. Oh, it's a good girl. <laughs> um. Yeah. She, she just wants some attention. Yeah, she's yeah. like, uh, yeah. you're giving all your attention to the computer right yeah. now. Why don't I get any love? <laughs> she's but sweet. Um, dude, yeah. Yeah, so anyways, like, uh, what's his name? Anyways, he developed polytropic breathwork. I'm going blank right now. That's all he's, good. We've, we've already had you for three hours. <laughs> yeah, but he's a badass, and he um, he basically, oh, Stan Groff. Stan Groff. All right. And he, um, so we did a whole holotropic ceremony after the day after the, the, we did two mushroom sits and the day after the second sit, we did this holotropic breathwork thing that lasted a fucking hour. And I had a full on third eye opening. I, I went into this huge purge where I started sweating balls. Like I was completely fucking like I came out of a fucking steam room, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Coming out of me, and I, I literally like got into a meditation position and was like, "Holy shit!" and just went <sighs> like DMT style, where just like yeah. blast off. And this was just from breath work, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, granted, I had fucking a lot thirty of- grams the night before, but yeah. But still, it was pretty trippy how that was way more intense than the mushrooms from the nights before. And it was like all just using your body, you know? And so you can, and that's the thing. It's like your body, man, you can access so many states. And this is the, you know, this stuff's been going on. You have yogis from the, there used to be a show on TV called That's Incredible. This was like Mm -hmm. in the early 80s or some shit. I'll never forget some dude, like they would show humans doing crazy shit. And there was some yogi from India that gets in a fucking glass box this big and fucking they throw him like underwater and he's fucking there for like 
fucking a week. Like, <laughs> it's some, but he mastered his breathing and shit, and he learned yeah. how to slow his heart rate down to where mm. he could basically barely breathe at the slowest tempo and fucking hang out for a week in a box in a fucking weird yoga position underwater or some shit, you know, it's like, yeah, dude, I, the whole thing about like the slowing the heart rate and all that and being able to tap into that, that shit is what trips me out when I read those stories and stuff. Oh, like dude. Like a lot of my like super deep like meditation, like dudes that are like into like the actual art of meditation and stuff like that. When I took DMT, they're like, oh, you took like the fast track? <laughs> like, yeah. They're like, oh, you took the easy way? Like to get it real quick. Cause I remember when I had, I mean, I did it a few times. I remember like the third or fourth time, like the beings or whatever told me like to stop. They're like, you're doing it for fun. This yeah. is not a fun. This is. Like a spiritual thing that you're supposed yeah. to be doing. I was like, I was like, oh, sorry. But you, right. that's what's crazy is that you still got knowledge from your trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, totally. it said, hey, come, yeah. come back yeah. when you're, come back when you want to. No, tap it was, it was something as dumb as like it was my like birthday a certain year, and um, one of my best friends like had a bunch of DMT and was like, hey, for your birthday, here's a, a couple grams. So I was like, fuck yeah, awesome. And so we're like, instead of go to the bars, let's go like lose our minds. And we, um, they like gave us instructions. They're like, be in a dark room, listen to this kind of music. Like, well, don't like do this and that. Don't go outside. They were telling me like, like doing like very basic, like probably like rookie maneuvers they were giving me, you know, just like, just be like, just do this. Yeah. And um, it really just like it at first it was just like psychedelic madness. It was like just so much to take in. And then it was like beings with like, I still remember the being uh, that first like came up to me. It was like a we sound like insane to people that haven't taken it, but uh, there's like a being that came up to me that was like a Egyptian looking outline, and through the outline, you know when you zoom in on like when you uh, a vein and you see like the blood cells going through, it was all the uh, religious symbols going through the being, and I was wow. like oh, I could see like stars of David, crosses, you know, Buddhist symbols, everything like going through this thing, and it's it's just doing this to me. It's just all like. It was all slow, kind of like an Alex Gray, kind of like a yeah. slow kind of thing. I think Alex Gray pretty much. I would take close to like things I've seen. I'm like, oh shit. I would take that as the message if it's all one thing, guys. Like yeah. you guys are just having your different stories to. My trip was one yeah. little light. It was like one little powered light that was blinking in the corner. It was the where the source of all this shit was coming from, and like it like a little light leaked in, and it was just like where the it was like a sun on me. It was like. Wow, my skin and like there was like a being coming out of it. Like, dude, chill the fuck out. Stop doing that's cool. Friday night to like go instead of drinking, you're gonna take a the most powerful psychedelic. Like, you need to like come to me with a question. You know what I mean? Yeah, intent. Yeah, maybe you didn't have any intent. No, I didn't. It was like, oh, it's gonna be like see crazy stuff. This would be fun. Yeah, really dumb outlook on when I first like tried it, and it really checked me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sacred medicine, man, and we have yeah. to honor it. You know, we have to honor the, the plants, too. I mean, it's like there's a lot of wisdom there, and it's like really meeting it with respect. And I mean, I remember at one point after many years of ayahuasca, I was going to certain ceremonies where people were so comfortable with the medicine, and it was a lot of like seasoned ayahuascaros, but they got too cozy where it was like people would be like, suddenly it became like a talent show or someone's reciting a poem and another person singing a song. And I understand if it comes from a place of inspiration in the moment, but it felt like 
suddenly people were dropping down into like ego states. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, let's not let's not make it about how fucking wise you are because you fucking ate this plant and like fuck that. Like this is about going to the wounds and fucking working on your shit and healing your trauma and helping each other out and really taking a look deeper at who you are and fucking it doesn't have to be serious. There can be a sense of play in that too, but right. but you don't want to like you know what I mean, where it gets into like a you know, like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is my poem I'm going to recite now. Right. I'm a, a, a psycho, not, I'm a seasoned psycho, not, and here's my poetry it's that like, I'm yeah. reading right now. Yeah. It's like yeah. a guy that's like trying to like impress a bunch of people and he's like, hey, check this out. I have a guitar, acoustic guitar, and I'm going to play Sublime songs for you now. Like, <laughs> and you're like, fucking God damn it. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> like, that's, that's the type of awkward that I'm like, it's one of my, yeah, no. Making it, making, oh, sorry. I'm they're making eye contact with you it's like one-on-one -on -one. they're playing like a sublime song <laughs> and they're like they're thinking they're like dude check this out dude and i'm just like and i'm going like fuck yeah those are crisp chords all right i'm gonna take off <laughs> in those environments you really would have to be sensitive and empathetic to if you're gonna share this space that they're, they're trying to show should, up to the, the masses that they're, they're no i know but that's what i'm saying like in those spaces you would want um space to be able to go inward and obviously you can't do that when you have somebody saying here look at me here look at me exactly, exactly. You know? yeah actually the early days of the aya ceremonies a lot of the shamans would advise don't talk to anybody don't talk to your neighbor like and you know and, and even having sat for a lot of ceremonies too like when you see somebody going through a very difficult thing you're not there to disrupt that thing for them. You can go and sit next to them, but you don't like go up to them and do what I mean. Like you let right. them, they're on there. They got to work through this, man. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom and I actually, uh, she, you know, deep in the Buddhism stuff, she, we, uh, two friends of my growing up, we had to go pick up from a year long silence retreat where they just hadn't said a word for a year. They awesome. were just completely silent for a year. That's what I want. We, we, we were the first people to, to, to run into them. And wow. I was picking them up and stuff, and they're just like, eh. we're like first speaking again. I was like, gee, uh, as a, I was 10 years old or something watching this, you know, like completely blown away. I'm like, you didn't speak, like, didn't understand how that could even be a thing back then. Wow. But like, I mean, like, yeah, all of my, our friend Olive, like, came back. It was like a two, almost like a two year, like, was like, didn't, oh, yeah. like, speak. she was like totally out in the woods. Two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went out there and she was just like, eh. and we're like, what? I was like, and it's like it's a woman I used to live with as a roommate of ours as a kid, you know. So it's like wow. she went and did this like two year retreat. I'm like, what the fuck's all of? She's like, we're gonna go pick her up, and wow, it was, just, you know, it was a trip. Like I still remember picking her up, just like her coming out of it, just like you know, like I'm 10 years old. I'm breaking it down now, but like at the time, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like yeah, I had no cool. idea, you know. Yeah, just no speaking, and there's like a a, a ton of people there. Just, they just That's do not speak. Cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Forces you to listen, man. You know. Yeah. Such a trip. Yeah. Man. Silence. Silence becomes the teacher. That's the whole point of of those retreats of of being like you know, of honor honoring the silence is like you're just basically letting it teach you. You know. Which yes. is, and all the answers are in that silence. You know, it's so deep. <laughs> it's so. 
I mean, I would say a lot of it's funny now. I'm thinking I remember these early DMT um, trips I used to do aside from the Aya journeys in the like, you know, mid 2000, like 2005, 2006. Yeah, early, early, mid 2000s. And this was like a lot of the lyrics from even Traced in Air were coming out of that stuff, you know, like it was kind of rooted in. And then Carbon was for sure full on. Um, I was deep in Aya ceremony and also deep in taking care of sick people. And I had one patient in particular who was a real intense guy who had pancreatic cancer and he brought me into his world. He had like three months to live and we were like inseparable for three months and with him until he took his last breath. And it was like the most powerful journey of my life. You know what I mean? Combining that with the medicine, it was just like real death with like the the death of the medicine death. So that walked him home, dude. Yeah. Walked him home. Beautiful, uh, incredible fucking opportunity. It changed my, my life, you know? everything that uh that's deep dude i mean those are the that that time like to accept you know existence and and non-existence and have somebody to hold your hand through it while you're having i mean that's why that's why uh maps is doing what they're doing and 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 you know how mushrooms are really helping people in act five and and facing the void i know i want to do that shit i want to help like people at the end of their life like take doses and stuff i feel like there's a real model there that is because i mean it just seems like of course to help people enter death like less fearfully so many people are so scared you know makes a lot of sense yeah yeah I mean, a lot of death, too. It's like it's like a lot of death nowadays, you know, with like bring back social media. A lot of people like, um, you know, I've brought it up before, which is the the documentary about uh, Rush. And, uh, you know, uh, well, they're trying to comfort Neil Peart after he's lost his daughter and his wife in like within like, you know, a very short like amount of time. And um, a lot of people with this with the the death thing is about them not about the the person it's, it's about like them comforting themselves with these like these ceremonies and these things it's not about like actually honoring you know like the life and death thing it's like it's like oh this is for like uh, thoughts and prayers it's like you know i'm 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 uh posturing for you know it's kind of like a posturing thing it's not about yeah. like, actually like uh respecting death you know yeah you know I mean? yeah it's yeah. true yeah, it's really needs to be um, met differently. And we're like the West is so behind on that. Like it's still taboo. It's still hidden away. You know, yeah. it's something we don't like talk about or, you know, like it's like it's still this weird thing. It's not like incorporated in a way that it is healthy. And like it I think society. It doesn't really work with capitalist society, dude. I know, man. <laughs> You're right, you know, but even like, you know, how about creating hospitals that are like, have a really healthy, beautiful, sophisticated view of death where people go and get to kind of enter their, this final active dying phase with dignity. And there's all these possibilities on how they can work with their mind and meet it with courage. I mean, to think about that, like environment, you know, that could be 
And I know those places exist. I mean, probably California had them in the 70s and 60s, but then they kind of fell away because there's been iterations of this in small ways for eons, right? Right. It's like the set and setting situation for taking psychedelics. Like, let's get a set and setting for passing on to the next realm. Yeah, man. I mean, Tibetan cultures had that forever. They're so advanced with this shit. It's insane. I mean, by the way, you reminded me of something I wanted to mention because you were talking about books and stuff. And I mentioned this to a friend, another friend recently on another podcast, but there was a book called How Great Beings Die. And I think it was Susanna Blackman or something that wrote it. And it's just stories of death stories of like yogis and people that have deep spiritual practices. And Mm -hmm. And some of the well, the most fascinating, that mind-blowing one is, and it's the most advanced death technique in Tibetan Buddhism, it's called the rainbow body. Mm. And it's, uh, it's basically these people learn master dissolving their body to like sand, basically. And it's like, and they can turn it, just turn it into a powder and it'll smell like fucking flowers and shit. Like it's wow. like they can decompose their own body. They they're even known to have been seen like in their huts, like where like a burst of light happens. And then it's like, it'll, they'll find them like very shrunken, like they pulverized, and then they pulverize their own body and the whole place will smell like fucking floor. Yeah. So what's what's the, the, what's the monks that, that meditate over graves? Well, that's just a, a death practice where, that's actually like a really, you know, I think that's very common even for young monks. Is like, or but open graves, like to watch a body decompose, they would meditate yeah. over long periods of time right? while the body was decomposing. Yeah, those are like impermanence practices. It's like working with the reality of impermanence and really realizing that that's you, that that's where you'll be one day to integrate that like awareness in a very um you know hands-on it doesn't get more hands-on than right right sitting in front of a court how more how much how yeah how are you gonna face your ex- your existence and non-existence better than watching somebody's non-existence yeah go back to the earth that's a big, that's a big Tibetan yeah. thing too remember like when uh i told you lama tarshan died that uh like helped raise me and stuff like they wanted to they wanted to uh i can't think of the name where you burn a body what was it called uh, burn a body, cremate? Uh, like a, cremate, like in, in front of it, the whole crowd of people, and the and the state like came in or the and stopped it. And they're like, no, it's like blood war pathogens, you can't do it. But like, uh, shout out Nicole by the way, she just gave us like a bunch of people just showed up, like seventy people. What up? Nicole. What up, y'all? We're getting but, uh, deep in this bitch. Your audio yeah, got weird, just Joel. Sorry, I almost called you. Know, so your okay. audio got weird. I know. That's my audio. Okay. No, your audio is good. Yeah, Paul, is Joel's. Am I good, Am I good now? I don't know. It's all like quiet, scraggly. Shit. Well, but yeah, no. The 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 got some scraggles going. Is like with the with the Buddhism and all that. It's like face. It's constant reminder of your meat body and how it's going to. You're gonna shed it. You're gonna shed it, and you're gonna come back. Like the whole re living to get through it and realize are you still being a good person it's ancient it's gonna go forever oh you know? yeah 
yeah, that's that's like an eternal law and shit, right? Like, you know, no one gets out alive, essentially. So it's a, it's a, always a practice to fucking meet impermanence and meet. And, you know, it is. It's unfortunately, it's become taboo, but it is a real, like, it's one of those things where even now talking about it, I'm like, I want to get back in those rooms and work with people like that because it fucking makes you, like, I'll just speak first person. It makes me live a very full and fully engaged life because i realize holy shit this could happen to me at any moment yes you really like that reminder it shakes Mm -hmm. you up man gets you out of any sleepy cozy bullshit and just exactly fucking a fucking what am i doing with my time who am i fucking how am i treating people you know you suddenly just get woke up and it's it's good stuff Yes, definitely, dude. I mean, I just to go off of you and watching that your friend pass on through that three months. I I was in the room with when my dad's dad passed away too, and and it's and also his mom too, but still in a different way. I was the only one in the room with him, even though I was, I you know, it was just like crazy experience and um but you still have this sense of like, you know, I was there to comfort at the last moment, you know, we're listening to Frank Sinatra. I'm talking about all the times we went to Hawaii, Aloha, Nano. Um, and, and yeah, so it's, it's like, that is, that is something that you can take from you gave and you, you, you gained at the same time. Yeah, man. Yeah. And it's, it is all about comfort, man. Like that's the thing. The patient takes precedence always. And that's the rule in any room with a dying person is what are, what are, what, what do they want? What do, what would they want? And this is why they always push, you know, doing a, a directive, right? A, a letter because like explaining if I can't speak, if I brain shuts down, do this A, B and C, because you otherwise have family members or people around trying to make decisions and it creates really fucked up environments. And so it's helpful if we kind of lay all that out, it makes that process much easier on a family or whoever's around the dying person. Right. It's like, you know, it really is the dignity of the patient comes first. And that's something I learned from Elizabeth Cooper Ross, you know, she wrote like the Bible on, on dying she wrote a book called on death and dying and she brought like she just really kind of laid it all out and um and she was always just like that that it she was just that was her her like mantra was like the patience the patient is 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 the is the boss here and that's not normally the case it's never the case it really isn't like i i i can think right now that it's literally the the patient is the grief counselor for the living that will stay as they go yeah and 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 so it's all this anxiety this death anxiety that builds up at the very end and and you know maybe the mushrooms can help as well but people like you who who like I, I want to just say that hold that hold their hand as they're walking to that that final 
breath, you know, yeah, man. that's, that is something that I, I wish that everybody can have because there's so much grief and anxiety that's happening all at once because there's so many people that you're finally going to be letting go of, but they're all like, wait, I don't want you to go. So it's like this constant thing. Yeah. I yeah. Know. It's, it's, and, and it's, this is an ongoing situation constantly in the world, man. It's, Every hospital right now is dealing with it and it's, um, yeah, it really, but Hey dude, I mean that, that just shows you as a person, Paul, like I, I knew I, I am so over like everything that's happening tonight is so much more than I could have asked for. dude. I mean, spending this much time with you is literally, I, 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 I'm grateful, dude. I'm honored to be with you guys, man. It's been so nice. Uh, and I mean, we haven't even gotten into uh, Ascension Codes too much, but yeah. I, mean, I guess we can just let's let's do a little quick thing on Ascension Codes and okay. let's get yeah. out of this one. But ah, oh, yeah, this is so awesome. All right, so now after kindly bent, you all that happens. There's a lot of grief there's a lot of loss, right? Obviously. And so what, as you at that moment, where do you finally make the decision? Okay. I want to, I want to continue cynic in, at, at, you know, to further myself as an artist and also to, you know, pay tribute to my fallen homies. Yeah. Um, I don't even understand what happened in the sense of how I even made it through that period. Yeah. I, cause it's, it is like something else had to take over or something in a weird way. Cause it just annihilated me to the point to where there was no one there anymore <laughs> full on. And it was almost like, you know, without trying to make light of it, but I do feel like some, other like entity had to come through or some shit to kind of push through and, and help me finish like some ET being or something. Cause I, I've been doing these practices, a certain kind of practice where it's almost like, uh, so you, there's similar practices in Buddhism, um, where you visualize a deity in front of you and they, it's almost like you can do this with loving kindness practice and other types of practices. But in this case, they're actually supporting you and you're feeling seen and they're giving you a lot of strength and courage to move forward. And it's almost like you're um, interacting with this being that is helping you move through whatever it is you're going through. And there's another practice. Someone call it a guardian angel. Someone call it. Something. Yeah, it could be an angel. It's funny for me. I, you know, I, I have since I had ET experiences as a young child, and then the kind of memories that came in my twenties and all this stuff. I had this being that I have seen as my mother since I was really young. So wow. when I started to do these practices, she immediately appeared for me. No shit. Like that's who I was going to to console myself. It's almost like you're accessing a higher self entity version of your, you know what I mean? But they, yeah, yeah. they could exist in some other dimension. I don't know what really is happening here, but right. I do know that those practices 
helped me pick myself up off the ground when I couldn't play my guitar, when I couldn't finish things, when I was so destroyed that I didn't even, I questioned everything, you know, I mean, literally I was in a state of absolute despair to where I, you know, and I've said this before, I, I thought I was supposed to die. I was like, it's my turn now. Yeah. Everything I, happens in threes or some shit. Yeah, like that, you know? it, was the, it was that kind of thinking that it happens in threes. And also the, maybe I should take my own life. Mm. Like maybe it's my turn. Like it's, it's just, it's a, just a swift exit. Like this is the end of the story with this project and, and, and this is my journey. And wow. Crazy. I had those thoughts. I've never, I don't think it's necessarily crazy. I mean, you're, well, I've had them before. I'm just saying it's a long time, you know? Yeah. I think that we all have those intrusive thoughts at times where it's like, really, you know, but I, I also can tell that like during that time, that's a dark, dark time, bro. So it's like, it, you're gonna eventually skim over something that has to do with yourself and and what yeah it those intrusive thoughts are going to happen while you're that's like letting your guard when when all the dark shit happens you're letting your guard down when you don't necessarily want it down but then things get in there you know yeah and it's I think what happened for me is I had so much of my identity, my musical identity, my creative self merged with, with them. Oh, yeah, Especially yeah. Like we were so one person for so long that when they fell away, it was like, I thought I was like, I didn't know who I was. And it was, I had certain things I could latch onto, but nothing felt solid enough. It was all just like, and and meaninglessness it was just like there's nothing here i don't know who i am like i i like and and then i had to like but i almost like it was like you're ushering in the spirit of your homies to even push through it was like they became integrated into the process and but it was it was the, I mean, I've, I always say this, it's the most difficult experience of my life. It's the hardest thing I've ever been through. And it's so, oh, it was a watershed moment. Like I forever, my life is, will never be the same, obviously. Yeah. But to the point where like everything shifted even slightly, how I mm-hmm. view reality, how things like, it's just like, and and you can sit there and go, oh, something as mundane as death. I mean, we're all just, you know, beings of light, just, you know, trapped in physical forms. I mean, we're like, we're, you know, we're much bigger than the body. Like they're, you know, they're still here. They've just, uh, you know, graduated from this, this experience, this dimension, this realm that, that you were in your, their form, you know, has gone into formlessness and now you can communicate with them in a different way. And I believe all that. And I understand all of that on all those levels, but I also, think it, there's just something annihilating about you know and very brutal yeah, death yeah. you know that um being in this physical space that it, it takes it does something else you know it just has, has another effect and it doesn't matter how rich of an understanding 
and you know like spiritual point of view there can be to it it's still fucking gut-wrenchingly guttural and yep and just took me to to my being a child again to being well, a little boy and i was gonna say as as a real cynic fan that it it was it just it was gut-wrenching to me about sean and then you know and sean at the end of the year and and so how I know that how I felt and then hearing your story tonight and how deep of a connection you had with those guys, um, I, I can't imagine. I mean, dude, and I agreed, you know, Reiner twice because we, you know, Sean wasn't well for a while and I tried gently to kind of change it up. I was like, bro, you need to get some help. This is not working and mm -hmm. you don't want to play the way you used to. And I, I get it. You're playing the way you play is a fucking Olympian sport fucking thing. It's, it's to play the way Sean played is, a, is a thing of youth. It's, it's not meant, you're not meant to be playing like that in your fucking forties. You know, it's, it's too much on the body. Right. It's like, that kind of prog rock drumming, like you're at peak powers, like maybe late twenties, early thirties. And it's downhill from there, man. If you're playing that kind of in that way, very intense, very hard. Very Sean, meaningful. Like a side note technique. I, I told Casey recently, I can't, I can understand the language. I can't speak it, but yeah. that man had a, a wrist technique that I haven't seen from anybody else oh, in metal dude yeah his symbol work i mean he he spoke with the symbols just and the ghosts the ghosts that no, he no. had oh dude yeah. no he had full facility sean could say whatever he wanted to say so he was just in a state of expression all the time but that it was and it was busy and active and sometimes subtly active but to the point where it also um you know, it, it beats your body down, man. Yeah. And you do tour after tour of playing like that. If you're not in peak health and fucking on top of your, your game, it's going to beat the fuck. And Sean liked the party, you know, yeah. and he was partying harder and harder over the years. And it got to the point where it was affecting everything. And I tried my damnedest to just say, Sean, let's figure, let's do something else. Like you can maybe just, we come together and we do the records and I get someone for touring. So you don't have to slog it out and fucking do a, a gig every night. And he was like, no, no me, mm. no cynic. And that was the beginning of him planting the seed to destroy the band, which led to the breakup in 2015. Right. And it, it was really our, our split. I had no idea that he was, this was, you know, I had tried to gently kind of dissolve things with him in a loving way and he wasn't going to have it that way. He was really? like, so he, it was like, it turned this corner and it became violent and like where he really tried to destroy and I destroy the band. I mean, mm. and fucking, and I, it was brutal, man. It was like, years of legal fucking battles i went into debt fucking paying lawyers to fight that situation 
never runner you're talking about right the road no, with, oh. with 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 sean in 2015 it was a nightmare and it was it it's lasted like, like years you uh, you uh like went on a plane flight or something and you came back and then also yeah we played japan japan we that's right it was in japan we were supposed to go to china but we didn't make it there because my passport went missing mm. and i now in hindsight I, I don't know if it was Sean that threw that passport away, but it canceled those dates and he went home early and proceeded to do all the things that he needed to do, which was file a trademark to take the cynic name, uh, fucking hijack the socials, which he had, I had given him admin of all the socials. He had nothing to do with them just a month prior and so it was like there was these strategic steps and it all unfolded and imploded when I got off the plane in Japan. I was suddenly my phone blows up and it's like, you know, suddenly I'm hearing cynics broken up and Sean's, you know, it's just like, what? <laughs> Fucking yeah, yeah. And uh, so, and what I'm trying to, my point in, in telling this story is that I went from rage and mm -hmm. anger with him feeling absolute betrayal to and working through that real to to then this legal battle and the the whole di disillusion of our relationship so he I lost him as a friend I lost I lost my brother so mm. I grieved him I grieved him for for fucking years Right. And I was so heartbroken and sad, actually, that it, things ended in the way they did and that I lost him, you know, like f even as a friend, as a bandmate, like I was like, oh, fuck, Sean. Right. Like a I was trying to end it anyways, but I was trying to keep it going just in a way that would work for us both. But he was it was all or nothing for him. And and then you know, years pass, no communication. The last time I physically saw Sean was we both went to Devin Townsend's show in LA because we we're both his friend. And I walked past Sean. We were in the same room, man. I walked past him and I looked at him like, you know, just like. Yeah. And he just went and walked past me. Oh man! Like he was still mad, you know. Really? He was still mad at me for something. I was hoping for something else than that, dude. Yeah, I was like, "What are you mad about, bro? Like, what happened?" And then I realized you're mad because I, so I see. I I was Sean's shadow figure. I was his punching bag his whole life. I held. I mean, I'm not going to be holier than thou than this, but I I did hold a lot of Sean's fucking anger and pain. I became his, like, he was like my little brother who would just fucking just use me, you know, as a way to process all of his pain and frustration. And, and I held it for him for, for years. And, and he never, it, it ended that way at the end, at the, you know, at the end of the story, he blew the pepper back in my face, you know, yeah. it was, it was so heartbreaking for me because Malone, you know, Sean also went and split up the, the Senate camps. He went and called everybody we had in common and said, it's me or Paul. 
It was horrible. Whoa. And, and fucking a lot of people were like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, and some yeah. friends didn't pick a side. And then other friends did. And it created this rift in the cynic camp, which was so sad. And so there was a lot of grieving and chaos that happened there. Even Malone, he went to Malone, said, pick a side. And Malone's like, are you going to do this? Wow. And Malone's like, I guess I'm going to have to fucking go with Paul. Because I, I know what's going on here. And Sean's like, I'm never talking to you ever again. So we both were left with this place where Malone and I, in our friendship, were like, one day we're going to be friends with Sean again. We're going to connect with him again. We're going to heal this relationship. This mm-hmm. was our conversations Malone and I had, thinking that we would heal that friendship and it would actually get better one day. And then we get the fucking call from DiGiorgio. He's dead. Whoa. And it was like, oh, fuck. You know, like unresolved, all that. And you're just like, now he's gone. So it was like, you know what I mean? That This was the journey from 2015, like the, the chaos of all that, the implosion of Cynic. This was right at the beginning of starting the tour, Kindly Bentafrius. And then, so people wonder why there was seven years. It's like, fucking A, a lot happened, (laughs) a lot of things, life happened. And there was a lot of work that had to be done to put things back together, to find the energy to put this project, to find a kind of see who we were again without Sean, you know? And I think Humanoid was the beginning of that. And, Mm -hmm. but man, it was... Sean's always a part of this, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, he'll always be a part of this. He's, he's my brother. I love him deeply. He's he's so connected to him, but I just broke some shit down. I've never told anybody. So I, well, dude, (laughs) I mean, thank you so much for that. Just, I mean, and I'm not saying that I really just wanted to pull that out of you, but I, I love that you were able to open up about that. And, um, yeah, man. yeah, no, it that was uh that was a little roller coaster for me, and and but yeah, that that's the thing is like uh, us as people, it's everybody's having their own experience, you know, and and unfortunately, Sean's experience at that time was something that just wasn't you know melding with you, you know, and and or with. The, this whole take the sides thing, I can't believe that happened, dude. I I didn't know that deeply about the... I knew that there was, like, the beef that was happening at that time because we heard about it, too. You know, if you're on social media, you would have seen that at that time. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I... I was hoping for more of a happy ending and I'm not saying that <laughs> I kind of like that. I mean, I don't like, but I mean, getting the realness, the actual, like seeing like Paul, like actually, like I was in his situation just now. I felt like, yeah, like, like, dude, what's going on? Like, why am I, I'm, I'm trying to like make all this work. I want, you know, and there's uh, another force that's going on. It's a, a force that you've been playing music with since you were a child. You know, it's like, it's, yeah. not, it's not any force. It's not just a random band member going like, meh, meh, meh. it's like a, the person that you've, it's the longest relationship of your life, you know? Of, yeah. Oh, yeah. hold on. And, you know, we forged our identities together, man. Like this yeah. is, we learned about who we were 
we lived together, we worked together, we did everything together. It was like, I spent more time with Sean than my own, you know, blood brother. It was like, at the end of the day, it was as close as you get. And you're making music, really intense music that takes everything out of you. So, and then all the other projects we did. And so it was, yeah, I mean, it's like one of the most significant relationships of my life. And, and it ended tragically, man. And Sean, you know, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And then Malone at the end of the year too, dude. I mean, I don't mean to harp on like all the darkness of the story, but Joel, I'm hearing like chirpies and flirpies from your mic, bro. Constantly. I muted it. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea where it's coming from. It's sort of interference. Okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, all right. I was just, I, I don't know. But what I was saying was like hearing with with those two in the same year for you, man. I'm just I feel for you so hard, dude. I mean, I, dude. I mean, I made it through, and I'm still here, and I I'm just grateful that I got the opportunity to encounter these two fucking right. Movies. You were able to exist at the same moment. And you fucking know? make music with them. I yes, mean, fucking blessing that i got to spend all this time making music with these yes your, bl your blips lined up dude and you guys dude. found each other yeah yeah and it's and you know I was, I was saying this to someone else recently it's so rare to to meet other musicians that you have a connection with it's hard to keep a band together it's hard to make a band like i know how hard it is to musicians we're in a class all our own man we're our own type of weird artists and to find ones that you sync with and have chemistry and can make music together that resonates. It's so rare and so precious. And, and I had that with, you know, a few guys, I mean, even focus era, but then, you know, like, you know, when it was the four of us, but then you go into like the post years where it was really just the three of us as the core, that was like magic. I mean, yeah. magic for, so many beautiful exchanges and so many things happen. And it's like, I so lucky I got to do that, you know, and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of that because yeah, of what focus was to me and what everything that you've done, but what, what focus was me when I found it. Yeah. I would have loved to. Oh, well dude, let me tell you some good news. So, you know, Jason our you know, guitar player from, from that record. It was Jason Goebel. He 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 had bought a you know hard earned money man. He bought a fucking high eight camera, and he videotaped all that shit. We have the entire making of Focus on video, and wow. it's like it's not very fancy camera work. It's a lot of just sitting on a tripod type of shit in a room, but it's 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 there, man. It's there's there's Good. tears, there's screaming matches, there's <laughs> fucking working out parts of songs there's it's like and we're gonna turn it into something really beautiful well, that would be amazing dude yeah it's that's that's the plan is to make it into make it into a into like a cool dock or something because it's like it is a rare old moment you know it snap like flashback into like a period of time that you can never return to you know right it's like yeah you love a painting 
It's, it's actually my vote. Is, is it my audio? Every time I talk, I'm hearing this little chirp thing now. Maybe you are with the headphones. You're hearing a lot of detail. Yeah, maybe if you guys aren't hearing it, that's fine then. Um, but I'm saying like if, if you love a painting, how cool would it have been to go back and watch a, the footage of like when they decided to put right. the part in that? Yes, dude. Totally. That's a trip to think about that. Yeah, like a painter, the moment they made. Because I do enjoy art, and I love staring at it for a long period of time to really take it all in, you know, and to be yeah. like, oh, there are certain aspects of a painting that are my favorite parts of the painting. Yeah. So I would love to see the whole process to see when that came into play. That's a trip to think about that. I wonder if painters are running cameras now documenting that stuff i guess some are there should that if it isn't the thing that should be a thing now yeah. i know festivals there's live art the stuff that happens but like to think of like crazy masterpieces and shit you know right <laughs> <laughs> totally dude well dude i mean we're coming up on four hours paul how oh, long, how much shit. longer do you want to go bro this time anyways huh yeah, yeah, we're at three fifty-five, dude. Oh no, I mean, yeah, I should probably get to bed. Yeah, um, I know you're. It's two o'clock in the morning for you, or yeah. three o'clock in the morning. No, two o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. dude, Paul, this is oh, oh, man. This is amazing, amazing, bro. Dude, amazing. Oh, man. I'm so grateful to have met you guys, and we'll have to do maybe maybe we'll do another one another time and get any time you want, dude. You have a open. I say this. Oh, I. Open invitation whenever you want, dude. We'll move guests. It doesn't matter, dude. Look, and dude. I love it, dude. And I, you guys, I mean, you have a real reputation. Your your podcast has like, when people were like, I posted it, they were like, you know, and I did some, they were just like, fucking hey, you know, there was like a lot of excitement. Like, there's a name here, you know, you guys. Cool, have, dude. Yeah. How long dude, have you been doing this? Uh, since October 2020. Okay, man, you got some momentum going thanks bro yeah. hey dude cool. I, your endorsement is the greatest thing i've ever heard during dude <laughs> i mean it's i mean i, I get why well, i get it now though because you guys all balance each other out in an interesting way like i'm still cool, dude. Like, you know i mean i like i want to learn more about each of you because i feel like there's like mysterious aspects going all on. right all right but, Part hey, two, part two. He's, he's working it out. Yeah. yeah, no, but it's cool because it's um, it's like you guys got a good flow. You know, it's cool, like, bro. Yeah, that, that 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 means the world to me, and I'm sure it means the world to these guys as well. Dude. Oh hell yeah, dude! Oh, this started. This started. I know I sound like shit, but uh, <laughs> but Paul, last question. I sound like a robot or whatever. Wait, wait, before uh, you do that, before you hold your question, I just want to go off what he was saying. We have to give him the little. <laughs> we have to give him the backstory. We're all in a band together. We've been in the band together since 2005. I joined, but Casey started the band in 2000. It's called Odious Mortem, and uh, I'm the vocalist. Joel's the bassist, the one that sounds garbage right now, and and Casey, super quiet guy over there on the other side. He's my drummer. He's fucking amazing, bro. And and. And yeah, we we're just all best friends, dude. Okay, so you've known you guys are old friends. Oh yeah, old yeah. old friends, dude. And and that this is kind of started as like a a thing to hang out during the pandemic, you know. And that's cool. Here we are at eighty nine episodes later, and we have a 
Wow. You on as a legend, dude. You're you're dude. literally a very important yeah. important aspect to our upbringing, dude. dude. And, oh man, I am so grateful. So cool. yes, dude. And to hear what you're saying right now, and to have like. Uh, idol tell us that we're doing something right dude yes dude, we're, man. No. we're gonna go for another 89 episodes now dude <laughs> yeah. oh 89 that's a cool number too that's right like, i mean that was a that's 17 that reduces down to an eight i'm an eight yeah an eight i know i was thinking about that it's it's eight it's the you know the figure eight infinity it's like Boom. it's a it's a good number man yeah totally dude really cool yeah, and and four is a good number too, and we're about to hit four hours, so maybe we should yeah. talk for fifty more seconds to make that. Make sure that happens. Yeah, the uh, Giorgio's. Uh, how how many more four hour episodes do we have? We have the Giorgio. He he broke four. Oh, hours. I love the Giorgio. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's a great dude too. He he's lives in Antioch, which is an hour from me. So oh nice. Yeah. yeah, we we got the same you know very yeah. adjacent mentality. And uh, he's he's stuck in it for four hours with us too, and and to ha dude, the two of the four people on human have gone four hours on our show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, we didn't even talk about human really. We, yeah, we, 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 we skimmed that. over it, but I really, I, you know, I, I wanted it to be the Paul Masvidal episode, and I know that you were involved in human, but at the same time, I just really wanted to hear like what was coming out of you, you know? Yeah. It, it, I mean, you definitely obviously contributed to human. I'm just saying like your brainchild. So I wanted all your brainchilds for the episode. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was really like Sean and I got to really just be with each other in the presence of like Chuck's music. You know what I mean? Cause it's really like Chuck had these little demos and these songs and we were just, we had our thing, you know, we were already established as homies and as, as players. And so it was like, we got to get in there and just do our thing. And I, and we pushed it as far as we could. Like we would sometimes go too far and Chuck would rein us back. You know what I mean? Like trying to like, like I would try and write a counter riff or some crazy thing. And he was like, no, maybe a harmony or something. And it was like, yeah, yeah. Sean, you know, Sean would push things drum wise as far, but, I mean, I think Chuck did a good job in terms of producing that because it kind of just worked in the way it's a pro progression from spiritual healing, right? Just like in the right way, it kind of felt totally. like the next step. It's my favorite death album. But, oh, yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, and DiGiorgio had his own thing going with Reinert, man. That was so hip. They were yeah. bonding like an old, like old school rhythm section and like working out parts. And you know what I mean? Like Sean would you know, Steve would play to Sean's role, you know, like I'm going to play when you do that thing, I'm going to do that thing. And it was very like Getty Lee, Neil Peart kind of vibes, you know? Sick, dude. Yeah. I don't know how, how um, uh, prominent or rare that is nowadays with tech death and all that stuff. Like the rhythm section is that is important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we play the tech death genre. So I'm asking, I'm more so asking my resident homies right now, like, do we look at a rhythm section the same way they did back then? I mean, I want, I mean my mic sounds like farts, but I want to. Like, uh, <laughs> like uh, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it's been taken away from editing and, and, a lot of, and making things. Yeah, like programming. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, so 
Well, yeah. like ba- Shout out Brandon Griffin. Get Griffin. Giffen, dude. Just hey, Griffin. Griffin. Yeah. And also, too, I mean, it's like, uh, like um, you know, uh, Trevor, one of the best friends over here. Like, uh, the bass kind of gets like nowadays, they, like the sound engineer goes like, oh, bass sick. Down. Like, they, they turn it down. You know, they right. don't. They don't like include it really, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, so that's another thing that needs to be brought back. Yeah. Yeah. And bass, cause the rhythm section, man, like that's, I mean, the drums are the whole the most important thing. It's setting the whole environment for the music, you know, and it's like how everything feels rests on that drummer. And it's like, and then you're building from there and it's people don't realize they underestimate that. And a lot of the, Prog death stuff, it gets so guitar geeked out, it, it loses that sense of like rhythm section. And that was really the core of always been the core of Cynic. It's like, this is fucking rooted on this rhythm section. Like, we, this is where this thing sits, you know, and then everything else is floating on top, right? But it's, um, yeah, it is, it's important. I think there's, there should be more of that. I, I don't know, maybe Malone will inspire waves of you know into Giorgio some some more melodic kind of because that's the thing they have to learn how to write independent autonomous bass lines that are also locked in with the drummer and but have really become the glue like Malone became the glue for Cynic like he really kind of brought the guitars and the vocals which were in this weird, weird trippy space and c- connected it to Reiner he became the, like this this the thing that kind of made it all work together. And I even explained that to Dave McKay on Ascension Codes. I was like, you're going to be the thing that kind of brings me closer and kind of becomes the attractor, you know, between the drums and the guitar environment. You're kind of like this middle space. That's just where it all sits. And a tether in a sense, kind of a tethering role. A lot of times if it's extremely like melodic and, sitting in the right pocket and stuff. And unfortunately, with a lot of metal, historically, it would just follow the guitar. You're just supposed to follow the guitar. And, um, you know, but when there's a real voice with a bass player and they have something to say, I mean, man, it's a game changer, you know? And you immediately know. You, you immediately know. know. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they can turn chords around. They can rewrite the harmony, the way the vocal sits. can feel completely They different. can pull your attention away from the guitar and just on them full on they can turn like that's the thing malone would fucking you know turn things on its head all the time for me i would give him song ideas or we'd work stuff out and he'd give me five examples of bass parts of how he could approach this one riff and each time it was like completely different you know like completely different so what are you doing right now joel i'm trying to make myself sound okay you sound uh, better, but now we got. <laughs> I think I need to go one ear because I'm hearing echo like a shit. All right, all right, we can call. It. Yeah, let's call it, Paul. But dude, right. you are so welcome to come back whenever you, you want, much. dude. Yeah. this was the the best it's ever been, and um, it, hearing that you want to come back on just oh, warms yeah. my heart so much, dude. Yeah, I have a great time with you, dude. That'd be awesome, I'm man. so glad that we got to hung out. I didn't even get to tell you there was a, a this. We're gonna end it on this. It will be such a fast story. Uh, I took a picture with you outside of Slim's in San Francisco, but my wife put it on video. We had a 
video camera, not a, a phone. It was old enough to where we still had cameras. And she put it on video and we're sitting there. I'm trying to find the the the, the micro SD thing. But we're just sitting there, arms around each other, and we're just it's just like technology, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's not you know, technology isn't it's not working right now because she's just like, uh, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm yeah. trying to uh, but she's filming it the whole time, so we're just sitting there like, "Oh, funny technology." <laughs> I'll find it though, dude. I will find it because it's That's in cool. storage right now. But yeah. I wanted it ready for the show, but I didn't. I'm so not advanced in technology that I would not have been able to get it onto the computer and get it to these guys in time. But all right, that was a long thing about that. But anyways, no, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, if you find it, send it to me. I want to see it. Yeah, I will. I definitely will. Um, but yeah, dude, thank you so much again, dude. And thank yeah. you to everybody who's been here for the since the beginning and he was here now. Um, we will... Dude, I got to take my headphones off because there's so much echo going on. Yeah, and I'll let you know. I might be up in NorCal like maybe in the next month or two. Dude. I would love to hang out. I'll go grab a beer. We'll go have sure. dinner. I would do anything that would to hang awesome. out with you and have this conversation yeah. further. No doubt, dude. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. Uh, again, go to uh, wherever. What did you say for the Cynic uh, plugs? Oh. Where you want them to go? Oh, um, well, you know, indie merch and traveling merchant. For, for merch stuff and then, Do you guys have a band camp or anything like that yeah, band camp um there's um there's a the label band camp season of mist has a band camp for cynic and and then i have another one that just is has other stuff and i'm actually gonna like get the demos up on there now because they're not online we didn't even talk about your solo project dude we definitely have to have yeah we'll do another one dude yeah for sure well cool night you guys yeah, I did. And uh, one more time, uh, battleforgecoffee.com, um, Cali Death Podcast, bigcartel.com. If you are, have a small double XL or an XL, why don't I go double XL first? All those sizes you could still get four more shirts. And then we're done with those. We're going to go get some more shit. All right, dude, this was so much fun, dude. I, this was a dream oh, yeah. come true. I already yeah. said it in the beginning. Um, Paul, we're just what uh you can go now we'll have we'll right. have a couple of pre we'll have a post pod after this too but if you want to hang out that's fine but thank you to everybody who's here in the chat um yeah dude right. see you guys yeah you. love you everybody love you. Rock on. Again, paul fuck yeah that was so sick love you dude see you next week guys yes.